0: Reveille, reveille, dogs! Look at us now, tip to tip.
1: This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show.
0: I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, dig it. Indeed, Friday, July 22nd, 2022. And you've stumbled right into the best Damn combat sports podcast, period. All right? I mean, that's all I needed to do today. Show's over. In fact, though, we have a fantastic show for you today. Setting the stage for Bellator, for UFC, for the combat sports headlines, and bringing forward two of the most unlike-minded minds in the combat realm today. I am your co-host, the Brian Campbell, the BBC with that BDE. But while you stay for the sauce... You come for that piece of meat.
0: That is Luke Thomas. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful day. My daughter's having a karaoke moment right outside my door, despite multiple entreaties to my family to not allow that kind of thing during show hours. But who cares,
1: right? Is she she talking about Bruno Luke or are we not doing that
0: anymore? Let's see. What is she talking about? No, she's singing some songs in Spanish. I don't know what the hell they are. Yeah. Did
1: Did I catch a kill
0: whitey in there, Luke? I don't, know. I don't know what song she's singing, but... Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know if she's singing uh, Cop Killer by yeah, Ice-T Ice or T- what is it, yeah. Body Count, but uh, maybe. Well,
1: Luke, this, uh, you know, avant-garde uh, will only add to what is, you know, a fantastic show on Friday Today being For the art. so I'm fine with that, Luke. We got a great show, but, I mean, before we get into business or anything else, I, I got to ask you what the people are asking me, Luke, okay? Like, 18 and a half DMs can't be wrong. Has Tom Aspinall now entered Yoanna champion territory in terms of your dark heart, Luke?
0: No, 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 no. I don't. Like I'm uh, the Yoanna one was different because we actually had her on the line when we were on the show, and then she got off the line to go at the time on another show, and that was the problem. Like we, there was like this. It's a long story. I I don't even care anymore. The But, like, what happened with Tom, I, I don't know what happened on his end, but uh, that kind of thing where, like, they don't post or they show up late or all kinds of stuff, like, that happens routinely. No, I have no hate in my heart for Tom Aspinall whatsoever, and, in fact, I am very excited for his main event this weekend. So Well, no, you're, ultimately,
1: Luke, your pick today will probably answer that question subconsciously Ooh, at least. Okay. So we'll find out something to look forward to uh luke i did want to tell the people you can see my old school not necessarily merch 1.0 but one of the early models right here of the morning combat merch you can find this and many other great ones at morningcombat.store right now you want a little pre-game preview real talk how about some factory town mma how about dead luke's face how about winter caps okay it's coming eventually the the, the cold will come uh why don't you hit up that ask ask for rj tell him bc sent you No discounts right now, but you can discount double-check your life by stepping up and feeling like a champion in our merch. Dig it. Uh, Shout-out to Showtime, Malka, CBS Sports, but specifically Showtime. Tonight, Bellator's back, and you're going to have to see it. I'm sorry. You know, you will. So why don't you see that for free? Don't subscribe. How about go to show.com right now, or, in fact, showtime.com, excuse me. Start your 30-day free trial. So much box, so much BC and LT. Well, maybe not on the app, but, like, in general, you know. Yeah, okay, there you go. (laughs) All right. I can't seem to find us on the app, actually, Luke, for the most part. But uh, you can find uh, some great stuff on there, so there you go with that shit. Uh, Luke, you want me to read any other ads? What do you got here? Anything else verbatim?
0: Uh, Do we have an AG read today?
1: We don't, but I did want to tell people uh, how they can vote this calendar year, Luke. Yes, please do that. And I'm not talking about that guy who fell off the, the bicycle, Luke. I'm talking about Morning Combat, a nominee at the moment from the folks over at the People's Choice Podcast Awards for two best sports podcasts, best male-hosted podcasts. I'm told, Luke, we're also kind of up for the third, which is like the People's Choice Award podcast. I don't really get how it works. But it will take you 60 seconds or less to decode it yourself and vote. So we appreciate all you guys doing for us. If you care about things like live show, that type of stuff, making our bosses happy, this is the kind of stuff you can do to get our back. Go to podcastawards.com slash app. Slash sign up or like Luke pointed to the QR code is on the screen. So do it the young way, if you will. Sixty seconds or less. No, you don't have to sign up for a predatory loan. We're we're past those days. So uh, why don't you uh, you know (laughs) do your best to get our back? All right, you know, as we try to do the same to you. I mean, the show's free. Last time I checked. Okay, thank you very much, Luke. Uh, I mean, I always wonder, Luke. You want to know how much does your audience really love you? Then like go to Patreon only. Right? Then you're gonna find
0: out. Yes, and that's where, we, that's where we get to the dark stuff, right there.
1: Go to onlypipes.com MK. Only that's, that's when you're going to see a lot of uh, lights. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Always there. All right, indeed. Oh, Luke, anything else? you have any weekend plans?
0: Yeah, work. That's what my weekend plans are. <laughs> lots and lots of work. That's all I seem to do anymore, uh, especially before vacation. I will say, Shouts, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly. I don't know if it's Algio or Algeo. But it's Bill Algeo, who had a nice win, obviously, at UFC Long Island. I had tweeted that uh, you know he's insanely tough, but that triangle that Herbert Burns put on him, he was partly able to wiggle out of it. Yes, because he's a black belt, he's very good, and all that kind of stuff. And He was, he was remarkably tough, but because he also has a very thin frame. And then he tweeted me yesterday, he wrote, Quit thin-shaming me, bro. <laughs> so, shouts to Bill Algeo, if, if I'm pronouncing the last name right. No shame, it's a goddamn superpower, if anything. Yeah. When you combine it with his uh, his remarkable skills, that win was not yeah. accidental. But no no shame Looks over like, here. Trust me, that guy's hips
1: don't lie, man. I love that guy. Yeah, no no shame at all, Luke. Okay, I mean they ain't they ain't childbearing hips. I'll tell you that much. But uh, no, made, they're not it, that.
0: They're not good for that. But they're good for yeah. fighting. I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah yeah, five of them for, for fighting. There you go. All right, I guess all the BS is behind us. Let's do it. I, some would say, Luke, hater you know, <laughs> haters might say that. Uh, that, you know, this show's even better with me in the point guard chair, Luke. I've heard that before, okay? I've heard it, you know? Maybe that means there's no substance to what I bring, Luke, okay? I mean, so I'll, who, I'll bro, be who, yourself. Who have you heard
0: that from? The the <laughs> acolytes who thought Thor, Love, and Thunder was worthy of Oscar nominations? Is that yes. who you heard that from?
1: As you would say, clownpenis.fart, Luke. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yes. dot oh, Gito by the way, series. I'm going to take yeah. Tukey
0: to the mother-effing water park later, bro. We're about to get oh. busy over there.
1: Are you talking about, like, Splash Pad? Or are you talking about, yeah. like... Like Water Country USA, No, no, no. I'm not
0: going to take her to the the Ebola Petri dish that is a water park where everyone pees in the same pool and then wades in it. No, I'm not doing that. Uh, Uh, It's a splash (laughs) pad. It's a splash pad. Dude, you take my kid to the park now, it's literally too hot to put her on the goddamn uh, slide. The slides are like cooked. So you got to take her to get some, you know, get some, get some agua. Yeah, indeed. Shout out to Duki. I'm I'm glad she's back at it, Luke. Uh, All right, let's set the
1: weekend straight. Let's Let's do it it the right way. Top of our rundown, of course, UFC fight night. It goes down Saturday night. A must-see Saturday afternoon, excuse me, from London, I believe 3 p.m. Eastern time is the main card. You can check me on that. But the main event is heavyweights. And boy, is this an important one for title positioning. A plus 120, according to our friends at Caesars, underdog is the well-traveled experience, Curtis Blades. Coming in against the red-hot upstart, Tom Aspinall, a minus 140 betting favorite. Uh, Luke, whether he shows up on this show or not, we talked Wednesday. We got a lot of love for the game that Aspinall's showing. He's red hot at the moment, as I mentioned. He could be the next hope of the UK. could also just be that next model of heavyweight, modern heavyweight 2.0 that Cyril Ghosn's doing. Aspinall's doing a little bit of that, too. Do you agree to start off, Luke, minus 140, Aspinall the favorite entering the toughest test of his career?
0: I don't know. This, this is a weird one because you can... S- I can make a case for why I think that the minus 140 is probably appropriate and maybe even somewhat underselling exactly how good Aspinall is. Um, But, you know, it could blow up in your face too because the reality is, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, um, the start that Aspinall has had in the UFC is insanely remarkable. uh, And he does have wins over like credentialed guys. And for example, in Volkov and then, you know, um, old hammers like Arlovsky, but the reality is there's just not a lot of time. He's only seen the second round one time. So like for, for so for very basic questions like what is Aspinall's gas tank like in the third round? How does he really deal with someone who can put 10 or 15 takedown attempts together? We just don't even know what the answer is. There's just a lot of really unknown things and not just like minorly consequential things, majorly consequential things. So there's a good argument to make for Aspinall. And I understand the minus well, I think they said minus 140. Um, I I I I have been a big believer in Curtis Blades. I just don't know exactly what to make of this matchup. There's a lot more tape on him, which means you get a better sense of his upside, yes, but also his vulnerabilities. We just don't really have a clear sense of the full picture of Aspinall. So the limited viewfinder that we're looking through for the to take the shot is Insane. I, I said this the other day to uh, on my uh, on my live chat BC. But like, have you ever looked at the statistical picture of Tom Aspinall? Now it's only five fights, so you know make make of that what you will. But do listen to this: strikes landed per minute, seven point three three. Strikes absorbed, just two point six five. A nearly plus five differential. That's one of the highest ones I've ever seen. Striking accuracy, sixty five percent. Striking defense, sixty four percent. Off the charts high. Takedowns per fifteen minutes, over four. Takedown accuracy, 100%. Takedown defense, 100%. Damn. And then submission average, two. Dude, this is like one of the, that, that for a five-fight run in the UFC, which includes some ranked guys there, that's one of the best statistical stat sheet, or stat, One of the, that's, like, that's redundant, one of the best stat sheets I've ever seen independent of weight class. It just feels to me, BC, and this is why this fight is so consequential. Curtis Blades is different, very different, than all of the guys that he has fought previously. So, I'm going to make I think what I think what I hope is a strong case for Tom Aspinall, but I I make it with a little bit of trepidation and why the odds are where they are because however much you believe in Tom Aspinall and I do kind of believe this unless you know him very well, you're in the training room with him, but from our side of the story, if you're going to make a case for Tom Aspinall, it is partly based in the evidence that we have but it is also partly based in a little bit of taking that picture and then extrapolating out one of the more charitable versions of what that becomes. It's a little bit, BCI, I mean, maybe you disagree. To me, it feels like a little bit, not entirely, like a leap of faith. Do you agree oh, with that? Oh, for sure,
1: for sure. And and you have to rely on elements of the eye test when you're, uh, you know, actual – evidence is this small and it is this small. I mean he made quick freaking work of Alexander Volkov, who I thought would be the kryptonite of the moment for him. It it, it at least opened my eyes to what everyone else had already been seeing sort of those plus sides of him. But to your point, I mean the, the greatest here's why this matchup is so great and why I like the odds. Again, minus one forty for Aspinall plus one twenty for blades. You could flip that no one would have a problem either way. It's that for what Aspinall hasn't shown us. The, like You could know, be as confident, you could tell us you spar 65 consecutive rounds, and spar, like you can say whatever you want. There's a difference between three-round and five-round fights, and when you've only been through halfway of the second round, there's a potential major difference. So if that's your only on-paper weakness, because we just don't know, we have no freaking clue, and I always remind people, even Stipe had to learn that five-round lesson in the first fight against JDS. So for Aspinall, it's like Blade suddenly becomes the boss at the end of the video game for that one piece of potential kryptonite. Now, it may not even be a factor, and then it's suddenly a different fight to try to weigh out based on their plus and minuses. But I think at least for everything we don't know about Aspinall and, boys, he's close to kicking in a door that it doesn't matter what we know, then you get to that title level, you're there. This is the right fight, right style, right time to give us exactly what we need to know, Luke, which takes us to Blades. It's funny, I think we just had this argument about Ortega the other day. We kind of, I kind of end up in this... Curtis Blades, when he's striking confidently and his intention to strike is on the same level as his intention to use, you know, the threat of his takedowns, he fights at a different level. Some will argue, Luke, that he can only do that against B, right? B- minus level guys. And when he goes up to the elite, we saw what happened. I don't know if that's happened apples and oranges debate right there. But when Blades is operating like that, a dual threat, man, he's tough as hell. Yet would you almost advise him in this fight to forget that anything to do with being a dual threat and go out there and win it. And it may have to look like Blades' win over Volkov, Luke, which, if you recall, was dominant over three rounds wrestling and ragdolling and then suddenly kind of hanging on for dear life down the stretch uh, as, as that style even gassed himself out to a degree. Are you telling Curtis Blades, if you're his coach, you know, forget the uppercuts for, you know, they're the heater, Ricky, I mean, take this guy down, solve it with a double leg time and time again, put this young kid on his back. Let's all find out together where that gas tank really
0: is. Luke, it's got to be right. I think I would agree mostly, but not entirely. So, for example, if I said BC, who has the advantage just on the feet? Like if it turned into a kickboxing fight, who probably gets their hand raised? Would you say Aspinall?
1: Yeah, the speed is what gets is the difference maker to me between the two of them.
0: So I agree with that. I, I agree that Aspinall has the advantage on the feet. I I would also say that if it goes to the ground, I would give it to Blades. But I think if Blades just tries to wrestle a guy this athletic, who is probably going to be very ready for the takedown threat, especially early. You know that volkov fight kind of stands out as like that's not a scalable plan for him so what i think he has to do is not chuck out the idea that a dual threat is not the right game plan i do think he needs to be a dual threat i just think he needs to be a dual threat 60 40 wrestling maybe even 70 30 wrestling where striking with aspinall i don't think it's so dangerous that he can't do it like while i give aspinall the nod as the better striker of the two and a little bit more mobile and can cause problems in ways that I don't think as good for example by the way folks forget Curtis Blades didn't even attempt to take down on Chris Dawkins and put his lights out just standing however I think Aspinall is just a little bit more of a fleet of foot an athletic quick guy that, that it just won't work in the same way with him so I do think that having long portions of the fight you are striking with him and also level changing, level changing, making that wrestling threat real, and then actually securing it and building off of it. But you have to, I think, a guy like Tom Aspinall has to be kept metaphorically on his toes. He has to be unable to process exactly what the threat is that is happening against him at any given moment for that attack to succeed. If he knows, for example, that there's a wrestling threat coming his way, and he has a firm idea that this is this attack that is launching in front of him is a wrestling attack, his chances of stopping it are high. Conversely, if it's just a striking bout, I think Blades can make a strong account of himself, but over time, something like what Aspinall will do would be the difference maker. It's the the combination, but while it's also the combination, it's the part of the game that Blades is best at, which is wrestling, being the predominant amount of offense built off of the confusion he would layer together by mixing them. So I don't think it's 50-50 or dual threat. I, I agree that would seem like you're, you're undercutting the thing that you know you do better than almost any other heavyweight in favor of just parody for parody's sake. No, I don't agree with that. I think he needs to be dual threat enough to be confusing to make the wrestling shine. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense w- without question. It's just how... Close can he get to the line of danger while doing that? Obviously, from the outside, Curtis Blades when he can commits to the jab with his length and his power. That you know that's going to be most likely Although the athletic Aspinall does have a way of cutting down distance and in, in, in making big moves. You know if you if a striking can be a conservative striking uh, situation. You you like B- Blades ability to hang in there and then use those situations to form his takedowns as a threat. But it can't be fighting this guy in close. I mean, Aspinall's ability to throw combinations, to throw creative shots, to throw explosive shots, um, you can't be messing with that, Luke. So that may mean a lot of clinch fighting. And if it goes to there, who do you think has a physicality edge in terms of what they showed?
0: Hmm. So let's say they're, well, okay, are they clinching in open space or like clinching along the fence? Fence. Curtis, again, based off what we know, Right, because we could go in there tomorrow, and then that's actually not the case at all. And we're like, oh well, and then we 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 overlabored the decision making in, in this, and uh, and it wasn't necessary based on the evidence that we have, however limited it may be. I would say that Curtis probably is going to have the advantage or Curtis is Curtis is not just, I think, one of the better wrestlers in the, and a very unique wrestler in many ways in the heavyweight division, dude. Like, let's be honest about it. He doesn't just have more fights than Aspinall. He's got vastly better experience, right? He has fought the very best guys. He's fought Francis twice. He has tasted big power from him. And yes, he was left wanting from it, fair enough. But, you know, and Derek Lewis as well. But the reality is he has been in there with very good guys. He has been in there with all different kinds of scenarios, like Overeem, for example. So to me, he's just going to have, if like, if he needs to stall out along the fence, you're asking, like, who's going to get the better of it? What does that mean to get the better of it? If I can stall out Aspinall and make him work and slow him down and tire him because we don't actually know about the full totality of his gas tank, that's a slow method of winning over the course of five rounds. That may not look exciting in each individual pocket, but the accumulative weight is significant. So I would say I would favor Blades there, but I really want to go back to this. I really believe that what Blades has to do is be light on his feet. He has to not be afraid to strike. He's got to put a jab in Aspinall's face and he has got to be level changing and fainting constantly. You can hear Tuki having a little screaming moment. The point is he does a lot of stance switching and stuff like that on the outside, he did that against Chris Dawkins. That is valuable, but I think the, the, the value of that is going to be limited against a guy like Aspinall who can pick you apart when you do shit like that. To me, it's going to be, I can't tell when the wrestling is coming. And then by the time it does arrive it's too late that I, I think is the Curtis blades logical rational doable path to victory
1: yeah he's got to constantly be ready to be adaptable and, and to and to change his patterns and and to just constantly try to keep Aspinall guessing hard thing to pull off especially against a guy in Aspinall who's probably not just going to wait back and allow you to try to tra- set these traps is going to try to punch right through and come right through the middle. So, you know, that's where the potential clinching uh, along the cage can be key for Blades. Obviously, if he can take him down, in theory, that's key. But, Luke, uh, what do you know about their their submission games? We know that Aspinall did submit Arlovsky, which was his only one since coming to the UFC. Do you think there's an advantage there, meaning even if Blades is successful with the takedowns, can he? Does he have to be super careful in terms of his, you know, grounded pound to not get caught into something? Do you have an edge for either fighter in this one in that realm?
0: Usually, big men don't have good guard games. There have been in the history of jiu-jitsu, some exceptions to that, and I don't mean just like relatively big, like plus 200 in a long frame, six foot four, six foot five, like a like a Hodger Gracie type. I mean like actually big dudes who are you know north of let's say 240, 250 who can invert and work good ground games. There was a guy years ago. Um, I'm not sure where he was in Brazilian. I think he was somewhere from Spanish-speaking Latin America. His name was Abraham Marte. And Abraham Marte used to be, like, a very good big guy who could play underneath. Like, but, for example, uh, what's his name? Is it um, Who's the big guy out of, like, the West Coast? Orlando? What's his last name? He wins. Most big guys in jiu-jitsu just have good top control. Right? So, for example in the last fight for Aspinall how did this submission come about it was a straight arm bar from half guard on top now that is a that's actually a little bit harder to pull off than folks might imagine you have to be long yourself you have to have good you have to have good balance a lot of people can't get that from half guard on top so the fact that he was able to get it is actually a little bit more deceivingly difficult than some folks might imagine but he didn't really get it from underneath and what I would say is if you're Tom Aspinall and you saw what Curtis Blades did to Alistair Overeem with those elbows the fucking last place you want to be is right there. If there is a submission threat, and I do think there is one, it's going to be on top for Tom Aspinall or from the back potentially, although even that one seems low percentage because maintaining, it's, it's very difficult to maintain control of a 250-pound athletic guy. It, it requires your chest and your back to be glued together very, very tightly, and that's hard to do when they can move around and they're strong. And you know, when someone's 135 and 135 pounds, it's a little more doable. When they're 250, I think actually blades weighed in today at 260. That's a hard guy to keep control of. It's actually funny. You don't see a lot of guys take mount um on other big guys like that because it's actually hard to balance on someone that big and that athletic. It's there's no there's no stability there. So what I would say you're looking for is that is mo- uh, very likely top control or potentially something from the back or maybe like a bulldog choke kind of a scenario, but not from underneath. I really don't think that. Plus, Curtis Blades is ground and pound, not just in the Overeem fight, but in general. Can not so much in the Volkov fight because he was gassed, but when he doesn't have that, you know, the gas tank weighing him down, so to speak, he's a nightmare on top. I would never, ever, ever want to be there. The, the The goal there would be to clinch or to immediately get away, not to spend time looking for subs. Charles Oliveira makes it look easy. It is not easy.
1: Yeah, not not easy at all. Uh, Luke, as always, I don't know why I go to extremes, but if you were a Blades fan in this one, which extreme would you rather? A Blades going for the knockout in an, it, with the type of uh, aggressiveness we don't typically see in that category for him, or a Blades who comes in and says, look, my best chance might be to gas him out, so I'm just going to wrestle until my own wheels fall off. Which one would you rather have? Both could end disastrously, Luke, but if, that, if it came down to that, which way are you leaning?
0: I think based on what we know, and again, I'm going to keep saying it, which is limited. Anybody who has like, oh, I'm, again, maybe Aspinall's coach has a very clear sense of things, and that's fine. But we don't have a very clear sense of things, although we do have some enticing things, and that's what we're trying to wrestle with. But I go back to it all the time. There's a lot of folks who look at the first round of Habib Nurmagomedov fighting Conor McGregor, and they really misinterpret what it's all about. Because you can make a case, well, like, Habib didn't really do anything, and, you know, maybe you could say Conor even won. I've seen some people say Connor even won the first round, which is a little bit silly, but they misunderstand what it's all about. Habib didn't give a shit about any of that. What he cared about was, I'm going to wrap this guy up, and I'm just going to force him to work. Now, they knew a little bit more about him. They knew that his gas tank wasn't great, and they knew that they could make that a very doable game plan. We don't really know how true it is in this particular case. But the point being is, you one of the best ways to win an MMA, if you can pull it off, is to drain a guy. Is to make him less than what he was. Not necessarily all the time via punishment, although if you can incorporate that, that's great. But if it's a five-round fight and you've got more experience and you had a real wake-up call in Curtis Blades with that Volkov fight and what what it meant for your takedown and your overall game development, this is a chance to write that wrong. What you want to do is you want to put Aspinall in places where he can't really get off meaningful offense. Maybe he can get a little bit here or there. He can't get off meaningful offense. You control the engagements and through those engagements, you make him work. Let me give you a great example. If you can tie him up against the fence line, Drag him to the fence. He goes to base, and now you can capture a wrist, and you can make him work from Turtle, where he has to stand. You can maybe sneak a few punches in along the way. That, to me, early on investment, even if you lose round one and maybe even round two, is a decent decent idea. I mean, you wouldn't want to drop the first two rounds, obviously, but draining him early to then fight a different guy later, I think is the very best plan you can have, because it captures what we know about Aspinall, which is... We don't have any clear sense about what he looks like third round on against elite opposition. Well, Curtis Blades is that times a 1,000 plus. He has a skill set to actually bring that to bear. Volkov didn't really have the skill set to bring that to bear. Spivak didn't really have the skill set to bring that to bear. Curtis Blades does. This is a chance for him to force Aspinall to work and by working, drain him. And then once he is drained, Put it on him. Now you might be saying, "Well, Curtis Blades has shown his capacity to to get drained too." Fair enough. When he meets enough resistance in that Volkov fight, he had issues with that. I am banking a little bit on the idea that he has figured out better ways to to a lot of that was panic wrestling. Better ways to control that, working on his gas tank, working on a game plan where he's not overly reliant on the wrestling, overly reliant on the clinching, but he has enough of it there as a quotient to make a difference in the ultimate outcome. I really believe that is that is not just a winnable path for Curtis Blades. That's the winnable path for Curtis Blades. I think if you go in and just try and bulldoze him, you know, and like, I'm going to put this guy on his heels. Dude, a guy this athletic who can find offense in all the ways he does, that seems like a real bad idea.
1: I'm trying to figure out, you know, I've been such a Blades guy. But I have seen him falter when he steps up. And it's like we still don't really know – is that just you fought two legendary sluggers in three separate fights in which you got finished and all? And obviously the first one against Nganu was more of like a, he asked out because of the, the beating he took. It wasn't, you know, he was not cold or anything. Oh, he was not cold after that, Luke, for sure. But it's like, is that just bad play, bad luck, bad place, wrong time against superhuman hulks who caught him? Or is there something intangible that's preventing him from getting over that top? It's not in a panic mode. He's still in the prime of his career. Heavyweights age and last longer. There are still significant strengths that he has that almost make him a unicorn in this division that he leans on them. So there's nothing about will he get another chance to get there. I mean, he's going to be atop this division as long as he's active. You get that feeling. But can you identify what's missing, Luke? I, I know he doesn't always believe in his striking, it, it looks like at times. I, I, I don't know what that missing thing is, though.
0: He's a lot like Stepe Miocic, and people are like, no, he's not. He- hear me out in my comparison. But imagine you kind of flipped the polarity of it a little bit, right? What I mean to say is Stepe can wrestle, Stepe can strike. But Stepe's best work has been predominantly not from wrestling. It's been from striking, and then the wrestling was, you know, for example, in the Francis Ngannou first fight, kind of like a thing that he could go to if he really, really needed it. He could drain and control Francis, that kind of a thing, right? So he had that in his back pocket. It was, it was, it was a part of what he was, and it was uh, an ace in the hole, but it wasn't the forward part of his game. For better or for worse, it wasn't the forward part of his game. For example, in the Cormier fight, it was not a forward part of his game. Blades is a little bit the opposite. Blades can strike a little bit, and it's and now it's becoming a little bit more significant of his game, but he was kind of just like a wrestle-heavy sort of guy. And I think he's trying to become, you know, much more balanced as a fighter. But if you actually, like, look at what, like, who's a heavyweight who can actually strike and really wrestle? They're, all notwithstanding, Gon is actually not that guy, right? Gon's actually not that guy. And I got to say, I don't think Francis has the wrestling acumen at all of a guy like Curtis Blades, right? Even though Francis has two wins of him, hello, it's MMA, he doesn't actually have the wrestling acumen. Like, in that sense... They're very different in a lot of different ways, but the closest thing at heavyweight to Stipe Miocic for all their many differences in terms of the the type of balanced fighter that Stipe represents, it's something like Curtis Blaze, even if there's a shift in polarity over the predominant skill set. And so you're, you're, you're sort of wondering, like, why can't he take that next step? I just feel like first time he fought Francis, he didn't blend things nearly as well as he needed to. Second time could maybe argue early stoppage. Also, Francis's power is enormous against Derek Lewis. He didn't blend it as well as he needed to. There's just been times where he wasn't quite mixing it as nimbly as he needed to. Whereas in a striking sport for Stipe to be so good at striking already, the wrestling kind of in his back pocket, he could mix them when he needed to, but he was able to just have much more of a ready to go championship kind of skill set. This one is sort of working backwards from it and, um, and so I think that's really kind of held him back a little bit. The striking has held him back. Not just the striking, the blending of the striking has kind of held him back. And not that he was ever bad at it, but we're talking about the very best guys in the division for them. It maybe wasn't as good as it needed to be. Now you're starting to see some of that stuff come together. And as I mentioned, the Chris Dawkins wins zero takedown attempts. Didn't yeah. even try. You know, that was the, I think he's leveling it out all a little bit. So Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm getting distracted because there's world war III happening outside my mother effing door. Um. But anyway, you get the idea. That's uh, it, it, there's there's plenty plenty of meaningful differences between Stipe and and Curtis. But in terms of finding a balanced heavyweight in that way, it's not gone. Actually, it's not Francis. It's not Derek Lewis. It's not tied to Ivasa. We'll see if it's Aspinall. I mean him notwithstanding, the closest thing to that for all the differences, it's a little bit Curtis Blades. All right, all right. I I, I don't
1: disagree with any of that. It's like. Can Blades show us a, a next-level gear? Or is the theory true that when he does step up to the elite level of competition, they find that weakness, they finish the fight? If Espinall is that and he's starting to really look like that, then he will. But there may be an even middle ground to that middle ground, Luke, and it's ultimately my prediction. I do think you're going to get a very strong performance out of Blades, but not a victorious one. And on the flip side... A, a pretty good, but yet still showing that it takes some time performance out of Aspinall, yet it will be enough for a win. I think this one goes the distance, and it's that fight on the on the rise that Aspinall will ultimately have most needed to show the gas tank, to show the his own level of adaptability and versatility based on the different looks he gets. I like Tom Aspinall here by decision, Luke, and I think it's going to be hard-earned, and it may open up a room for people to say, oh, they're not perfect, they're not perfect, Well, guess what? He's not freaking perfect, right? He's pretty damn good, though. And uh, if you're going to get by this version of Blades right now and get to that upper crust title picture, you're going to have to earn it. And I think he will, Luke. I I really believe in this guy, whether, you know, he ever shows up on this show or not.
0: (laughs) I'll I'll say this. I'm going to pick Aspinall. I I wonder if I'm going to regret it tomorrow because I do think it is a... And and by the way, I'm sure that Aspinall and his team have not slept on Curtis Blades, like... If there's one thing you want to say about Tom Aspinall for all the limits we have of the understanding of him, one thing is pretty clear. He's smart, he has high fight IQ, and his team understand him, and they also have fight IQ. They're not chumps at all. But I do feel like Curtis Blades, even by us potentially, is somewhat, not merely underrated, sometimes criminally underrated. So I'm going to pick Aspinall. I'm going to do it based on what we've seen and a little bit of a leap of faith. And I'm going to say he finishes Curtis Blades somewhere around the third, fourth round. I may come to regret it, and if I do, I am happy on Monday's show to be like, God damn it, I should have known better. But that's where my head is at today. That's my pick for the main event. Yeah,
1: I I think I'm more confident in an Aspinall finish after round three than I am of a Blades win of any kind, even though I expect this to be a close, very competitive fight. So, yeah, I'm just an asshole, though. So we'll see what happens, see how it plays (laughs) out. I can't wait for it, though. London, Saturday afternoon. Luke, the Coleman event, Jack Hermanson, a minus 105 favorite. Sorry, not favorite. Minus 105 underdog. Or maybe I don't know how to read odds, Luke. Very,
0: very true. What is...
1: Curtis is the favorite, minus 115. Hermanson, uh, minus 105. But Luke, for it's Mr. It's basically a, a pick'em. It's a pick'em. Yeah, em. basically. For Mr. Action, Chris Curtis, 35 years old, eight-fight win streak across a few different promotions. He lost three consecutive fights in 2019 in the PFL, two to Magomed, Magomed carry and then one to Ray Cooper the third. But it's been all victory since then, and now he takes. A, another last-minute fall apart to kind of slide in and see what happens here, Luke. Um, dude, Hermanson, last time I checked, Luke, is a tough out for anybody. Do you like Curtis being the favorite here entering this one?
0: I do a little bit, a little bit. I got to say, dude, if you needed a... Okay, if you're Chris Curtis and you knew you had to fight Jack Hermanson, but you needed a warm-up fight to get ready for it, now I don't know if there's a perfect warm-up fight for it, but I got to tell you, Hadolfo Vieira as a warm-up fight for that is actually yeah. pretty helpful. Why? Because Jack Hermanson can do some interesting striking on the feet and he can blend, but his best work is typically as a grappler. It's why he went all in on it against Jared Cannonier, and it didn't work, but it was probably the right idea. Jared Cannonier in that fight did an amazing job scrambling and breaking grips and breaking control. I don't know if Chris Curtis has that, particularly on short notice. We're going to find out. It'll be interesting to see. But when you have to stuff 20-plus takedowns in your previous fight, and I think you're walking in here with a 100% takedown defensive rate in the UFC, that's exactly what you might need if you're already a better striker, which I do think Chris Curtis is certainly a better boxer than Jack Hermanson. You already just fought a guy recently who tried to take you down all the time. Now, Jack Hermanson is a different guy, different strengths, different leverages, they're not the same, but we're talking about what's a good warm-up fight. Dude, that's a great warm-up fight, all things being what they are, to take into this. Then on top of that, you look at the fact that Chris Curtis tends to get hit a lot, but dishes out more than he takes, is good in boxing range, has obviously knockout power. Uh, I got to say, I, I, you know, it's a close fight, and there's lots of reasons to think Hermanson might win, but Chris Curtis is walking into this one... If if you're gonna walk in on short notice, which is what he's doing, mm-hmm. this is one of the better ways to walk in, to have an existing skill set that gives you a bit of an advantage on the feet, to have a recent fight, and to have a recent fight against the guy who spammed takedowns against you in all different kinds of ways. That is an awesome, awesome background to have to walk into this co-main event.
1: Yeah, that's very well said. Although I we I found out the hard way when I I'm not criticized, but I I once said something negative about the Joker, Luke, and boy, he's got fans. You wouldn't guess, Luke. They came out at us at uh, MK, but here's the deal with the win? Joker. Yeah, they did, and, and said, look, he's way better than people realize, but the reality is he's 3-3 three and three in his last six, but it's, you know, losses to the very elite. Split decision to Sean Strickland, Vittorian in a decision, and then he got stopped by Cannoneer, and the wins are, you know, Ronaldo Souza, Kelvin Gastelum by submission, and then when he ran through Edmund Shabazian for that three-round uh, unanimous decision. So... It's like, Luke, is he his the last six would tell you he's an elite gatekeeper. Others will tell you he's just putting it all together right now. If we get the very best of Jack Ramanson, this may be a different fight, Luke, but have we seen the very best of him yet?
0: I think we have. Uh, which isn't to say he can't win here. That's not my argument, but like, do I think he's going to rack up a win subsequent to I mean, what would you say is his best win? So he's got yeah. To your point, the Gastelum win from the heel probably hook, Gastel. which was nice. Um, yeah. Um, do I think he's going to get a win better than that going forward? I'm skeptical. Uh, certainly possible. I I'm not a future. I'm not a fortune teller, but I don't think so. I think you probably have seen him at his peak. The question is not that. The question is, even if he's not at his peak, is he still good enough to beat Chris Curtis? And certainly on paper, yes, he he is. Um, but I don't think I don't think he's got like grand heights in front of him i, I don't believe that
1: no and he, you know he had gritty fights in, in losses to vittori and, and strickland i mean he puts on the pressure he's willing to fight he's tough as crap luke he gets in in and out of crazy situations um it, it, you know it, it could be the perfect kryptonite for the for the fun run that chris curtis is on and take nothing away from him and to your credit is showing that power and and just taking each opportunity and climbing but if, if the Joker, Luke, is still going to linger and try to make another run, he's got to win this fight. That's what it comes down to. And if he bites down and stays gritty, I mean, I get what you're saying. If he can't take the fight to the ground at all, that could change this in the other Dude, direction
0: for him. Look, look at what happened in the Sean Strickland fight. Let's pull that up. Jesus F in Christ. Sorry. How about Jack Hermanson? Do you know how many takedowns he attempted in that fight, BC? Do you remember? I don't know. No, I eight. don't remember. He attempted 8 takedowns. How many did he get? Uh, 2. 0. He whiffed on all 8. Made it a very different fight at that point, even against a guy like Sean Strickland who was somewhat a little bit, you know, um muted as a striker in terms of like big action, right? He's more much more careful in that way. So no, he, he if you if if you can't get if he can't get the takedown, his game changes dramatically at that point, right? And for Chris Curtis, uh, now, if he gets taken down, I think he's in big trouble. Because one thing that Jack Hermanson does really well is once he gets the takedown or if he can bring the fight to the floor in some kind of way, then he is an active submission hunter, right? Now, that is a big difference. He's not some guy who's going to take you down and I'm going to slowly work to move to half guard and, you know, I'm going to pitter-patter with shots and I'm going to look for ground and pound. No, dude, that guy is trying to find a limb or a throat as fast as he can. Um, But it's just if you take that away, he's just not... At all the same guy anymore and again Chris Curtis walks into this fight with a 100% takedown defense and by the way BC what do Sean Strickland and Chris Curtis have in common they're training partners and they have been training partners now for a little while mm. Sean Strickland has probably done a fair amount to help Chris Curtis about these entries and about what to expect again you got to fight it Sean Strickland can't fight it for you but that is going to play a role here I suspect Sean uh, Jack Romanson's up against it
1: yeah, the plot thickens. I just think if, if you're Jack Manson in here, seriously, you got to win this one. This is a matchup. You, you I don't want to say you should win for everything you just said, and it's a, a tough-ass fight, but if he's going to stay being a guy uh, of, a, of a high level of respect that we have for him, Luke, at this level, he's going to have to be gritty, and he was gritty against Strickland, even with the takedowns being taken away from him but it's going to have to be more here. It's a big close-up, Luke, a big opportunity for him that could, you know, dictate where he's going the next couple of years, so I'm looking forward to it. Luke, a lot of attention going to be, of course, on Patty Pimble, who seemed to make weight and look great doing it, uh, despite all the talks of him getting fat between fights. He'll be a minus 265 favorite against Jordan Levitt, plus 225. We talked about this as being, kind of, you know, kind of the right matchup at the right time, a favorable style matchup. It may be a little bit more about keep banging the drum that Paddy's coming at this point and give him a chance to get there, Luke, to some degree, and what you can do with UFC matchmaking, which we don't normally do that, but to some degree you can wiggle a little bit. This seems to be that type of matchup. So what do you expect that we see? I mean, Paddy is, uh, boy, does he love the crowd, Luke, and they love him. Do you think that's what drives him into situations where he ends up taking damage before winning? Or is it just, you know, that's his style, that's his hunger, he gets, he gets in that.
0: I think the fa- uh, yeah it's like chicken or the egg. I think the fans respond to that. Right? I think he's got that in him. He's a, if you watch them just on the grappling department like Jordan Levitt is a very good grappler. Like this is I was I was I'll say this. This is a good test for Patty Pemblet's development. This is a good one. If he passes it, it doesn't mean that he's going to win a title. far from it, but um it would be a nice sign for him to be able to pass this because you know, his striking, I think the striking defense is something that needs to be worked on a little bit, uh, obviously, uh, but his grappling is pretty great. And so if you can beat this guy grappling, which we'll see how he beats him, but if you can beat him grappling, that would be a pretty good sign. Uh, the point I'm trying to make here is pa- the difference between like Patty and Levitt as a general fighting posture is that Pimblet is a little bit more of what we call to the military, a hard charger. He's a hard charger. He has a certain amount of physical intensity that he brings sometimes to his own detriment but when it's going, it goes really well. And what you're actually seeing is he keeps a little bit of that physical intensity, but in his last fight against Vargas, uh, he dialed it back just a little bit, just a little bit to make a better, I think to get better takedown opportunities or I think to get up on top is what he ended up doing. Um, I think we I found the back. How did he How did he win his last one? I have to go back and look here. Patty Pimlet won the last one via rear naked choke. That's right. But he was patient along the fence lines, the point I'm trying to make. There was a real patience he showed Relative to what he had showed previously, Levitt is a tricky grappler, and he's a very good one. But he's almost a—he's almost got a very defensive sensibility to him, especially in the striking. He has like these big like cover-ups and moves away a lot. He doesn't really engage uh, in that sense. And in grappling, like for example, his win over Sales, he was Sales was the guy initiating the takedown, and then and then from this sort of like. Slow moving scramble. He locked up this uh, inverted triangle, so he's tricky in that way. But he lets the game kind of come to him, whereas Pimblet kind of tries to define the fight by virtue of taking the fight to the opponent. You might say, "Oh, that's a bad matchup." That's exactly what Levitt wants. It could be that—that is one possibility. The other possibility is that if Pimblet's game is developing the way that it needs to, he's gonna—he's gonna run over Levitt. That's the other possibility here. Like. There's a value to, to letting the game come to you a little bit, letting the fight come to you, but there is a thin line between letting the game come to you and then getting your ass run over by someone who is bringing too much intensity for your defensive sensibilities, right? you got to match that intensity at certain times, and I don't necessarily see that. Like, for example, you go back to the, uh, the the Pueges fight he had where this is the one that Levitt lost. You know, he was kind of accepting of... His opponent just bringing the takedown to him and then kind of having these scrambles where he was doing well enough, but he couldn't really, that there wasn't enough intensity in the wrestling scrambles to get the better of it. And he lost that fight as a consequence. Like, dude, that's a very, that's a, that's a path that Pimblet could follow to say nothing of the difference in striking where for all of Pimblet's striking deficiencies, you know, dude, look at the numbers here for just a second. Let me read them to you very quickly. Okay. This is the bad side of P- Patty Pimblet. He absorbs 3.89 strikes per minute the little on the high side and we've seen him get you know rocked a lot but dude strikes landed per minute over 6 that's high conversely Jordan Levitt only lands 2.5 strikes per minute he's just much more muted in that sense so there's a real question of if Pemblet brings the intensity but is a little bit scientific about it but steady about it he he might just run over Jordan Levitt Levitt has to bring a certain kind of and by the way uh I think uh, Pimblett brought this up. I believe this is true. Dude, Jordan Levitt in the UFC has fought at the apex. Let me explain something to you. He, he made a point. Levitt was like, oh, well, it's the fight's going to be at 9 PM. Are the Brits going to be really drunk by that point? (laughs) Motherfucker. They're going to be hammer time by the time that fight comes along. Are you fucking shitting me? They're going to be drunk as a skunk shouting their, their, their lungs out. He is not at all prepared for what that crowd is going to yeah. be like. Make no mistake about it.
1: Yeah, this is the lion's den, and Ken Shamrock's not showing up anytime soon, Luke. I, <laughs> I agree with you. I feel like the combination of the submission win and the second fight showing you, okay, there's more under that hood than than maybe he's shown at, since coming here or that we think. And, look, I, I don't know. I'm starting to get cr- crazy like a fox, Sly Fox feeling from Patty Pimblett, uh, That that, you know, he wants you to think... That, it, that he's a little bit limited. You know, a little Billy Hoyle right there, Luke. You know, it is hard goddamn work, right? I mean, a little bit of that. Um, I think he rolls through him, too. And, and you know, the chicken or the egg about the the fans and how they love him, they fuel him, Luke. There's no question about it. I mean, it's, it, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he likes getting into a little skirmish, Luke, and then rallying out of it. You certainly can't keep that spirit uh, all the way to the highest level. But on this level, with the expectations for this crowd and this close-up, um... I don't know, Luke. Look, you know, we talk about majors. We're going to get into UFC 280 again and that, you know, Abu Dhabi card coming up. But, dude, that's a freaking major. MSG, a major. I mean, I wonder if, 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 you know, we need to readjust that. London's going to be a major soon, Luke. A major pay per view inside of a stadium if, 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 you know, once we get to that point. And this guy's a, a big part of getting to that point. So he gets another one of these wins here with, uh, you know, the O2 going just bad shit crazy. Uh he wants, he seems to want the smoke, Luke. I can't believe I'm coming around on this. He seemed like, you know, the gimmick is just kind of like, eh, all right, you know, but, but I think there's more under that hood, Luke, than we know.
0: I, uh, when they first announced this fight, I was like, dude, Levitt's a tricky grappler. And he is a tricky grappler. Like, there are a lot of ways this could go poorly for Patty Pimblett. That's why I like this matchmaking. Like, first two fights, you know, they were just trying to get him warmed up. Fair enough. Didn't mind it. I understood it for what it was. Now they're asking him to beat someone who really has the capacity to beat him. Right, I didn't really believe the first two guys had the, the genuine capacity to beat him. This guy does. This guy does. He really does. Jordan Levin is a very, very tricky grappler. But I think if Patty Pimblett can, can bring that intensity he, tip, he typically brings, but in his last fight, like what he did, show moments and and a general sense of when to press the gas and when to press the brakes rather than just sort of being all gas all the time uh he's gonna win I'm gonna pick Patty here I wasn't gonna pick him earlier but I think I've changed my mind a little bit about it I think this is it's a tricky fight make no mistake but Patty I'll put it this way should win should win this contest that's what I think
1: look he's charmed you a little bit
0: well, here's the thing. I, I'm not one of these guys that buys into like, oh, he's, you know, he's the next big thing out of the UK. I, you know, I don't think that that's true. We, we, we don't know that. You know, and I, again, I go, always go back to it. Like Soren Bach whooped him and then went off to Bellator and like doesn't have the acclaim. And it's kind of weird because that guy, like Pat Pimblett, it was a five-round fight and Bach beat him basically grappling. Like it can be done. I've seen it done. Um, so, you know, I have real reservations about his upside. I think that's only fair, not just in the striking, but overall I have real reservations. However, however, the dude trains hard. He gets a lot of shit by by being a big personality that I think is a little bit unfair. This is a winnable fight. He trains with a very good coach that I have a lot of respect for, Justin Flores, among other ones. He deserves the respect that he's owed. And I feel like I, I don't get involved with the fans side of it and if you you know i'm not saying not you but the proverbial you out there if you guys like him or hate him i leave that entirely up to you i don't really get involved in it so i feel like i have a little bit of a a little bit of an opportunity to make you know a non uh not every every assessment is biased but i'm not biased in the fan sensibility way at least and as a consequence i i you know i he's a good athlete he trains really hard he's got a good team behind him this is a this is good matchmaking on the part of the promoter to give him some trouble, but put him in a winnable context. I'll just say this: it's a real bad sign if Pimblett can't beat Jordan Levitt in this way. It's a real bad sign uh, about his upside. But if he wins, it's it's a great one. He, he should be he should be. Uh, it, it would signal a, a very positive sign for his development.
1: Uh, every time I read Jordan Levitt's name, Luke, I think of Joseph Gordon Levitt from you know Third Rock from the Sun and um... you mean Batman. And um it's, uh, Summer, uh Summer what's that movie? You know, you know what I'm saying? Five hundred no, days of summer. J- Joseph Gordon
0: Levitt was good in uh in loopers. Have you ever seen Loopers? No, I haven't. I have seen oh. Lucas with Corey Haim though. You better
1: believe that, Luke. Loopers? Dude, Loopers no, is I, I think
0: it's on Netflix with Bruce Willis. It's a very good movie. You should see it.
1: All right. The I stopped watching Bruce Willis movies after Color of Night with because I realized that you don't need there's no you can't top that, Luke, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, fair. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, Luke, uh, I had some rough things to say about Alexander Gustafson coming back to the light heavyweight division for this fight. Only a plus 175 underdog, by the way, against the minus 205 Nikita Krylov, who's coming off a first round stoppage loss himself, Luke. There. Uh, what does this look like in the end? I don't want to be proven right here. I love Alexander Gustafson. I'd, I'd love if he could create, you know, a, a twilight run and, and be a tough out and, and win some fights. I'm not feeling it here, Luke. Okay? What is this fight gonna look like,
0: Saturday? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, you know, you look at Krilov's last two fights against Ankhali, he lost. Okay, fair enough. Ankleive is a hammer. And then he lost to Paul Craig. And, you know, Paul Craig has an amazing guard, but like just a lot of really poor decision making from Krylov. So you think he's beatable, maybe, right? But, dude, the question's about Gustafson at this point. I mean, I don't even... Let me ask you, where are you? Forget about Krilov. Forget about this fight. Just where are you, BC, on Gustafson? Because, okay, he went to heavyweight, and the Verdum thing didn't work out. Whatever. But, you know, he was kind of fading down the stretch when he was fighting uh, uh, Anthony Smith. I think Anthony Smith took a lot of the last bit of the love from the game from him, and then he came back and all this stuff. I don't even know... Like, dude, I'll say this. Gustafson at his best, at his best, way better than Krolov's best. Way better. Oh, no
1: question. But, 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 that, but that where is Gustafson's door, best? Yeah, that, that guy's not coming through the door, Luke. This, this has more like recent Carlos Condit run vibes to me, and even Condit had some wins in there, but like, no, Luke, where am I at? I told you Wednesday. I'm in a bad place with Gustafson. I th- I don't, you know, he's going to have to really show me that he wants to be in there. And I think this is a tough matchup. And maybe he's getting the odds this way because of his name. Or maybe I'm off and there's going to be more, you know, fire left in that belly and just needed some time and recharging. But, you know, the one-off at heavyweight and then back down, it's just, it. you know, this ain't an easy out under any circumstances. So... Um, I think he gets stopped in the first round. Hold my, I, I said it, Luke. I said it. I, you know, I, I'll be watching the DC fight for the rest of my Whoa. life. It's great theater. But, uh,
0: you know. That DC yeah. fight, someone was asking me, like, uh, I, I forget where I saw it, but someone made a point to me that Gustafson should be included on the list of fighters, best fighters to never win a title. Hell yeah. And, dude, that fight he gave DC is, people always talk about, like, the fight he gave John, and he gave John a tough fight. That fight against DC was tooth and motherfucking nail, and I've you know you've seen DC hurt obviously with uh, you know this the the the, the loss to John for example, and there's been some other ones, but dude that he put DC in peril. Remember this? This is a general rule, and I learned this one from Phil Baroni. Phil Baroni, I made a point like, dude, what's the if you know someone was in a tough fight where when they interview the winner. The first thing they say is like, "Holy shit, that was, that was, that was so yeah, they goddamn They did not tough. get
1: paid enough. I mean, DC's yeah. actually talked about it. He was like, "That made me reconsider whether I wanted to take really hard fights like this anymore because it just financially might not be worth it." You know what I mean? Like right. that's. That was that was an insane fight. I mean, that's the, if that's the best of Gustafson, the Jones fight followed by his performance in that. I know he had nice wins around that. He also came back. Who sent him to hell in the first round? Was it Rumble or Glover that just peeled him off the canvas? Look, that was Glo- uh, uh, Rumble. no Glover.
0: Right? And him went four rounds and he beat Glover, which I think is one of the paths to victory here. I think it was Rumble. Remember because um, it would they because that's that's when the UFC was trying to make Sweden like this next big market. Yes, and Gustafson was really trying to come along, and then Rumble put a stop to that shit.
1: Yeah, Rumble Texera was the Rumble against Glover was that sixteen second one at two hundred two. I remember that one for sure. But uh, all right, Luke, I hope you know. I, I hope I'm proven wrong here. I want to be proven wrong. I don't want to be known as the guy who picked Woodley Till perfectly and then picked this perfectly,
0: Luke. Okay. All right. I don't want to uh, be I, that I'll, guy. I'll go. Uh, you picked Krilov in this one by first round stoppage.
1: He'll in oh. fact he'll take Gustafson's gloves off for him and leave him in the center of the cage. Do you have be,
0: do you have odds on this one? Do you have the odds?
1: Yeah, I already read it. Plus 175 Gustavson, 205 Krilov. Luke, if you only listened to me, you'd get a lot of information. I hear you, motherfucker.
0: It. I can't remember the numbers all the time. Um... You know what? Fuck it. Just for fun, I'll go Gustafson. I'm not really predicting that, but just, oh, just for you the don't show's care. sake. Yeah, you don't care. And then then all if right. he wins, I'm gonna claim all the credit. So fuck you. I hope so. All right.
1: Uh Luke Molly Meatball is McCann is coming off a spectacular knockout that I did see a lot of haters saying, you know, you guys need to slow your roll. That was the perfect situation against the right opponent, the highlight real finish. She ain't that fighter. Well, she has been up and down since come to the UFC, but that performance did show you something else a different kind of spark luke maybe it's fueled by the attention that her and patty and Aspinall are getting and and i mean look you got to give molly mccann credit this credit at least every time she shows up on camera somewhere you know she's there i mean she's she is selling out in terms of like i'm a personality come watch the molly and patty show and it's fun it, it's fun to a certain degree luke but now they got to fight again. Hannah Goldie at plus three thirty is uh is typically in the opening bout. She's gonna get bumped up in this opportunity. Luke, um, do you like the muscle in this case, or do you like the meatball as a minus four ten favorite?
0: So you you're you're gonna ride with this? Hannah Goldie is the new muscle shark. Yeah,
1: I, I'm not. I I have. I'm not going to. I have been riding with it, Luke. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a forerunner, a trailblazer.
0: How much of that is Instagram influenced? Yeah, I okay. I mean, the
1: thing is I don't have to comment publicly unless unless court appointed to, to tell you about who I follow on Instagram and yeah, what my fair listen,
0: is she like. is, she is, she is to your point. She's well muscled, strong. Um, and I oh, by the way, some of the criticisms of Molly McCann in the sense that, you know, the opponent she got the 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 spinning back uh, what was it, fist or elbow? Can't remember, or elbow uh, KO. Yes, that opponent was not not the toughest fight I've ever seen right let's be let's be let's be very fair about that, but like I always say this it's like okay, if it wasn't the toughest opponent, she still beat the shit I mean she did what you were supposed to do like that's what it's supposed to look like if there's that much of a mismatch fair enough um I just it's not that I can't see Hannah Goldie winning like but what would you actually say in terms of individual phases of the game? that Goldie is meaningfully better at. Maybe stronger. Okay, fair enough.
1: Stronger, potentially jujitsu on the ground. She can get herself... I mean, look, Goldie ends up in wild fights, and a lot of that, unfortunately, Luke, is her lack of head movement in terms of her defense. And she's good in those scrambling of those wild fights. So it's going to have to be a ground-heavy attack that that attempts to kind of gas Molly out because if she stands and trades with Molly, I think she's going to get stopped.
0: Yeah, if she trades with Molly, she'll get stopped. Even then... The jujitsu thing i take it it's 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 legit it could happen it shouldn't it shouldn't All molly right. mccann should be able to cause uh to break contact for separation and then beat her up on the feet particularly with like leg kicks and whatnot i think that's i think that's the likeliest path that this fight takes i take your point that you know there's you have a better athlete maybe certainly a stronger athlete in the case of hannah goldie but in general, in general, skills win fights. And while I recognize that the, you know people are trying to blow up Molly McCann based on the win and put her pr- perhaps a little bit further along than she ordinarily would be, given you know who she was fighting, fair enough. That win was nice. It was extremely well executed, and she does have the skills to win this fight. I think she should and will.
1: And we don't have you know super fan Jay Paquette's animation ready, but this is the BC Super Sloppy Special of the week. It should be a wild fight. <laughs> We're probably going to be talking about it in some form come Monday. So, uh, by the way, Luke, Monday is my forty-fourth birthday. So,
0: wow, what are you going to do for your birthday?
1: Morning combat.
0: (laughs) Uh, Give me your address so I can send you a guy who shows up with a thong on and sings you a song for your birthday, like a singing telegram, and brings you a cake.
1: That'd be that'd be something, Luke. Uh, Luke, this might be my favorite fight on the card, short of the main event: Paul Craig, Vulcan, Ozdemir. We set the storylines of what we can expect but again i think curious odds minus 145 ozdemir your favorite a plus 125 paul craig who's on a hell of a run right now despite getting hurt and dropped in a few of those luke uh dude i like plus money on paul craig all day here luke against vulcan ozdemir who i wouldn't say his career is completely falling apart luke but there's been some serious highs and lows since that initial run to a title opportunity
0: yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Paul Craig is just, he's just the best. I, you just, I love guys who bring unusual games and then find ways to have unusual wins. That's really what he does. However, there's no good reason why he should win this one, right? Volkan Uzdemir, when he's cooking, when he's cooking, is fast, hits hard. He's fought the very best at 205, right? He's already been to the mountaintop in that sense. Found himself wanting, but he at least got up there. And there are deficiencies in his game. For example, Anthony Smith was able to work from the back against Uzdemir. You would imagine Paul Craig might be able to take take advantage of that as well. It's a winnable fight for Paul Craig. But if Uzdemir is careful and doesn't make bad decisions, he should win this one. It's not like on the feet, Craig is a major knockout threat. I think that's not unfair to say. It's mostly the submission threat, which is real. But Uzdemir's athletic, should have good takedown defense, should have good separation, and should be the much better striker on the feet. So we'll see. This Like, dude, fighting Paul Craig is a real big... Not just, like, who wins and loses, but, like, it's a real big question about fight IQ against Paul Craig because a lot of these guys, they hurt him, and then they go to the ground. It's like, dude, stop fucking doing that. He's got all kinds of tricks on the ground, in positions you're not used to with your training partners to take advantage, don't do it. So if they make good decisions, they should win this one. We will see how good Uzdemir's decision making is at this stage of his game.
1: Well, I think that is somewhat what's what's giving me confidence and fuel that it could be another Paul Craig type fight. And I mean, look, current stock in terms of momentum obviously Craig's got that advantage. I mean look, we got to be real here. Ostomier's 2 and 5 in his last 7. Yeah, there's a lot of elite names there. But, you know, and yeah, he was putting it on Prochazka in big moments before getting stopped, but I also think he got a favorable split decision against Rakic in a fight that I that I thought you could go the other way on. So, I you know, Craig needs to stop doing some of those Paul Craig things, which is get lit up by a big striker. This is a guy you cannot F with. And if that is the ultimate determination in the way these odds are set, I guess I get it, Luke. I mean, you're kind of basically saying, forget the current run of either guy. Ozdemir at the end of the day just might be the better fighter. That's kind of what you're saying.
0: The fight starts on the feet. And given that reality... And given his ability uh, and his experience in terms of separation, takedown defense, that sort of thing, that should heavily favor him. It does heavily favor him. The question is what he does with it in all the different other phases. And Paul Craig has all kinds of guard ability uh, in the way that we have seen him use it. But he is also somewhat reliant on both his ability, his trickery, and also, in the case of, for example, in the Krylov fight, his opponent making bad choices. One way to neutralize Paul Craig for all of his for as much of a jam as he is is to not make bad choices about the grappling. We shall see, we shall yeah. see.
1: yeah, I mean, look, obviously not just his strike defense to be able to 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 not get hurt and be sent into these situations where he can rally on the ground that's going to be key, but he's also going to have to be a striking presence of some form without question to win this fight. I mean, you say what you want about Vulcan's run again. He was punch for punch with Prochotka there. You know what I mean? He he did get the nod, whether I agreed or not, and had big moments against Rackets. So he certainly, Luke, can, can play and has shown that in the past at a high-level competition, even if he's not getting an early knockout. So I don't want to, you know, leave that level of disrespect on him. But if, if Paul Craig has that leap in him, Luke, to legitimacy, this is the path, man. It's got to go through here. So let's see. It's going to be theater at the very least, Luke. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm t- in my mind, you know, will that transfer into dollars? I don't know. But in my mind, I'm taking Paul Craig with the plus money here. Ooh. Okay. Just,
0: uh, I'm feeling uh, good about it. I, right? I, I, I would love for Paul Craig to win because I think he's just, he's so good for MMA. He's so fun. He's a nice guy. He's a smart guy. I'm going to lean Uzdemir because he shouldn't lose this. We shall see. We shall All see. All right, very interesting,
1: uh, Luke. Any any other fight you want to highlight up and down this card? I know that you've talked a lot about Muhammad Mokayev, who is a minus four seventy five favorite against Charles Johnson. Um, they say that this guy uh, may not be on the prelims much longer,
0: Luke. Yeah, he's amazing for a guy who made his pro debut his, or his UFC debut in his last contest. Um, was it even? I, 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 yeah, his uh, in his uh, last contest. Uh, The one I'm a little bit more interested in would actually be the Nathaniel Wood, Charles Rosa fight. Nathaniel Wood uh, was a top prospect out of the UK and kind of hit a a few road bumps in the UFC. Um, And this is a good kind of get back fight a little bit. He's coming off the loss to uh, Casey Kenny and he has a loss to John Dodson, but I do, I do think highly of him. I would like to see him, I would like to see what he can do here. So this is a good test. Charles Rosa is tough, but um, you know, this is a winnable fight, I think, for Nathaniel Wood. It, yeah. It's a it's a good matchmaking. I like it.
1: I like it as well, Luke. i be looking forward to reminder. Those uh, prelims start early East Coast time tomorrow afternoon from London. I believe 3 p.m. the main car. So it should be fun. I like this. I like this schedule. Let's keep that up. Uh, Luke, Elite M at World Class MMA also going down tonight on Showtime. Speaking of 30-day free trials at Showtime.com, it's Bellator 283 from Tacoma, Washington. And we've got a new sort of last-ish-minute main event when the co-main got bumped up from three rounds to five rounds with Petriki Freire, the, the damn uh, pit bull himself, the lightweight champion, pulling out. So, Luke, your new main event, Douglas Lima, Jason Jackson, we established that on Wednesday show. But what happened on Thursday when you and I were handling weigh-in show duties for CBS Sports HQ for Bellator, Douglas Lima coming in mm. at 1718 I'm sorry, 172.8 pounds 8, yeah. for this 170 fight. I've, the non-title fight, there would have been that one-pound uh, you know, uh, g- buffer for him, but he didn't even go to the scale a second time. You and I sort of debated on HQ whether that's a monster warning sign, although he looked in great shape on the scale, or, or whether his words of saying years of trying to make welterweight, you know, they're going to catch up with me eventually, maybe they might have. What? How does that change things, though? Jason Jackson, five-fight win streak on the verge of of a Walter White title shot, a minus 190 favorite. Lima, three fight losing skid, plus 160. We already thought maybe damage goods, or not damaged, but look, age 34, he's been through the wars, three-time champion. What does this weight cut do to your expectations tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern on Showtime, when Bellator 283 goes down?
0: I think it might be 10 p.m. unfortunately, a uh, bit of a late start, but i is
1: it really i think it's i think it's 7 p.m is the prelim oh maybe it's 10 okay you know there you go luke
0: uh yeah it's a late start it's a late start are you doing the post fight hit on hq i am are you no i'm doing the pre-fight i'm doing the one at nine um so have fun oh i think that's
1: the one i'm doing too i don't know luke maybe i agreed to both you know it's probably it's very possible
0: i don't know i i think i only agreed to the one at nine but in any case uh, are you double checking on your phone right now? <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I'm doing the post and the pre. I thought that was the same offer. Apparently, there's two separate hits, Luke. All right, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Hey, catch uh, me
1: on HQ. Yeah, uh,
0: so here's what I would say. Dude, I just don't like all of the signs here. I really, 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 really don't. You know, you can write off the Musasi list. Uh, the, the, excuse me, the Musashi uh, loss as listless. Uh, you know, kind of came on a little bit and too little too late, but it was a little bit there. And then against Amosov, he just didn't have it. Amosov a, is a beast. Okay, fair enough. But then against MVP, and MVP is much improved, but he just didn't have it there really either. And I was like, man, this is not a great, like, he's just not, it, it's not just that he lost in, like, these Rock'em Sock'em affairs. He's just looked kind of lifeless the whole time. And then you go into this one missing weight, and and I take your point seriously, which is, well, you know, he's been having trouble making weight recently. Like, if you go, remember BC, we actually covered the weigh-ins when he fought MVP uh, for the second time, and we were talking about, dude, he looked bad, Uh, even though he made the weight, like how sucked out and you know just kind of drained he looked the whole time. So fair enough. At age 34, maybe a move to middleweight is the right move here. I guess we'll have to see. But, dude, the reality for me is the three losses are not accidental. The way in which he lost them, even if he showed a little bit of spark late, it was always too little too late. Then to go into this one and to miss weight by, you know, we're talking about a guy who was, a multiple time champion, missing by nearly two pounds, three, if it was a championship level fight, like, dude, that's a big, big miss. And even if you wanna say, well, okay, he didn't didn't try, and by the way, didn't even try on a second attempt to lose more weight, was like, fuck that, this is the limit. Dude, like, he looked bad even then, so he's gonna have this psychological component that he couldn't make weight, and then on top of that, there's the physical component, like, dude, he didn't look good at all even not even making it like not even putting himself to that ultimate weight cutting limit Jason Jackson is on a hot streak if he needs to strike he's a good striker if he needs to wrestle against an opponent who's too good of a striker he can do that he can play the levels and again we go back to like the Patty versus Levitt fight there's there's a thin line between not enough intensity and too much and you can you know fighters get it wrong all the time but it's not just this momentum it's a certain amount of fire that Jason Jackson has that I've just not seen from Douglas Lima. If you want to ask me is Douglas Lima's high point better than anything we've seen from Jason Jackson's high point to this, to this day? Yes. Yes, it is. His high point is higher, but that's not what, that's not what we're adjudicating here. We're getting just what version of Douglas Lima exists today versus this version of, of Jason Jackson. And I just don't like the signs at all. I think Jason Jackson's going to win it. How comfortably, I don't know because to your point, BC, it's not like Lima got blown out or in the words of Emmett Smith, blowed out. It's not like he got blowed out, right? He didn't, but he was just kind of doing enough to hang around. Jason Jackson, if that's the Lima that shows up is going to feast on that.
1: Yeah. So lifeless for the most part, against Musashi for the first loss of this win streak, but it was for the middleweight title. He did try to step it up at the end. It didn't work out for him. He said, okay, I get it. But the lifeless against Amasov, even with the new champion just being a hell of a motor and wrestler and, and just the aggression that he shows, that was the warning sign. So I had some level of optimism coming into this fight because of what Lima showed at least in the third of the three-fight losing skit against MVP. And Luca. we talked about it. The, the wrestling that he showed, the, the sort of efficient mindset of saying, okay, this might be the, my only way to neutralize this guy. Uh, he, you know, he almost had a case for winning that fight. And it was at least like urgency, I guess, is the best thing I could take out of it. But you're right. I don't really know what to do with him missing weight like this because he's been so consistent. That's been his key. I mean, look, he fought he fought Spartan Koreshkov three freaking times, Rory McDonald two times. I mean, he's been in some, mm-hmm. you know, epic big fights. Um, yeah, he's been cutting down to welterweight since 2010 on a full-time basis, so and that's 12 years. I mean, do, do people grow out of that? Yes, but... For this fight in this moment, it's like you know I could also come up with that conspiracy theory that he's doing the old veteran move of okay I'll pay the tax but I'll have the physical advantage of not cutting down. I don't even think that's his mo, Luke, and that it's his style. So all things considered, that's enough of doubt on the Lima side. Where yeah, I love Jason Jackson too in this fight, and I think that the in the in the at the end of the day, his ability to stay off the mat will certainly be key. But just the, the, the aggression, the action that the ass-kicking machine brings to this fight, if we get a Lima who is not as dialed in, who isn't establishing those hard outside leg strikes and really looking to control the fight from distance and coming in and out with pockets of action, you're right, Luke, I may be asking uh, for, for somebody to come through that door that just isn't there. This could be a Tyron Woodley situation where it was you know it was quick when it happened, but it happened. And there's a little bit of failure to launch here and pull the trigger. There's also a little bit of it. It just might be past him. Go Jason Jackson, who I always argue that one loss he's had in Bellator to Ed Ruth by split decision. He scored multiple knockdowns. I thought he did the the totality of the the best work in that fight. He could very easily be undefeated here. He's never been spectacular. He's never been without flaws, but he consistently wins against the the you know the Paul Dalys, the Benson Hendersons, the uh, you know that level of matchmaking as he's. Neiman Gracie. Been, Neiman Gracie, which was a big one, to get to this point. I like Jason Jackson's chances. It should be an interesting fight with more questions surrounding Douglas Lima. Um, and by the way,
0: know. one thing is, you know, Jason Jackson, they just showed a, a picture of something that kind of reminded me. Dude, Jason Jackson has good takedowns, and Douglas Lima will just accommodate you guys or accommodate his opponents from guard. You know what I mean? He won't even, like, sometimes yeah. he fights to get up, obviously. It's not entirely true, but there's a lot of times he'll spend in a round just fighting off guard. It's like, dude, he'll just give away the last three fights he'll just give away rounds it's like dude it's just it's just a real bad sign it's a real bad yeah sign.
1: although to be fair you know when he lost that first fight to rory in that f- fifth round when he was on his back the whole time there was a little bit of that back then as well although i think we just True. looked at it as maybe he fatigued with rory you know coming on and obviously he reversed course in the and then won the rematch although it was a kind of a brutal fight to watch but we'll see look we didn't set it properly for this Coleman event in terms of uh what's going on here uh yes sydney outlaw in a big spot right here but it was originally supposed to be sydney outlaw fighting for the title against Patriki pitbull pitbull pulled out so one tofik musayev who was already on the card was supposed to fight adam Piccolitti. he steps up Piccolani. now no Pick a lot, pick a less, a lot more, whatever you got, Luke. But here's the deal about Musayev, Luke. Is he beat Patriki Pitbull and Risen just a couple fights back? And even yeah. though Musayev enters his Bellator debut here, fresh off a loss in his most recent fight under the Rise, Riz, Risen or Risen? Luke, I want to get this right for once.
0: Uh, I think it's Risen, but I don't, okay. I'm, I'm not 100% sure.
1: But, you know, the point is coming in, Tofik Musayev can fight Luke. He beat Patrici for the in the Risen Rising Lightweight Grand Prix. Beat Johnny Case. Beat Darren Crutcher. I mean, beat some guys that we know. He'll also be a minus 140 favorite against the plus 120 Sydney Outlaw. And Luke, you may remember three fights ago, Sydney Outlaw did get uh, a, a one day pass to the land of winning ghosts, as you would say, against Michael Chandler. But has won two cents then, and really seems to be putting it together and coming on. Look, this is this is a good ass fight on paper here with Outlaw plus one twenty. This could go either way, and you got to believe the winner is going to get the next chance at Patriki.
0: Yeah, uh, this dude uh, uh, Tofik Musayev is funny. He's got a loss, by the way, via triangle choke. To it's, it was the first loss he ever had to uh, Muhammad or Muhammad Burkhamov who was also on this card, but now fighting at one seventy. And he's got a loss to, in his last fight, to Roberto uh, D'Souza, which was something of a, not unexpected, but some fairly surprising, I would argue. Somewhat surprising is maybe the better way to put it. So there are some, there, he's got a couple of triangle losses, actually, I think three triangle losses of the four. But he's got a huge winning streak, to your point. He beat Patricky Pitbull in, in Ryzen and Johnny Case, UFC vet. And Damian Brown, UFC vet, and Darren Cruikshank, UFC vet. Like, this dude is a hammer. So, he's a little bit overzealous when he takes guys down from guard against people who are good submission threats. I don't know if Sidley Outlaw is that guy, to be candid with you. I guess we'll have to see. But Tofik Musayev, another one, another one of these guys, BC. Now, he's from Azerbaijan, which is not Russia, but of course, you know, this sort of former Soviet state uh, bag of hammers that you talk about. You better add this motherfucker to the list, dude. This guy wow. is good, and I think he's probably going to win. To be honest with you.
1: Wow. Okay, Luke. Um, you know, Sydney Altlaw seems ready, but this is a a. Uh I mean, this could end up being a tougher matchup than Petriki, considering this is this guy was, you know, the last guy to beat him there. So this should be a very good fight, and we're going to see right now whether Outlaw really is, the, class, you know, of this ilk of the class of this division or is it another hammer sliding into Bellator for Scott Coker and company and scooping up more of these titles, Luke. He'll take one massive step closer in a fight here, uh, you know, rising from the Piccolitti Lottie level, Luke, Hobby Lobby level, and now on the uh, the very big level. This should be a heck of a couple-fight run for Tawfiq, Musayev, if he can arrive in Bellator, beat Sydney Outlaw, and then fight Patricki in a rematch for the damn title, Luke. Something to watch, Luke. Something like a phenomenon, maybe.
0: Yeah. The good news for Sydney Outlaw is he's he he Piccolotti is a wrestler, grappler type, and so he's going from one of those to basically another type. So that works out well in the sense like he didn't go from you know poor poor Jack Hermanson was going to face Darren Till, and now he's got to fight Chris Curtis, which is guess well you know actually that's not the best comparison there's they're pretty similar in, in certain kinds of sort of broad stroke ways but the point I'm trying to make here is he didn't go from a guy who was like oh I'm preparing for a wrestler and then you get a strike or, or vice versa he got a guy who at least again in broad strokes is fairly similar to what he was expecting so that should help Sydney Outlaw but dude Tafik Musayev has just a fucking crazy intensity and um it's a tough fight for Sydney Outlaw a very tough fight.
1: Does that Asian crazy intensity, or, or you know, the line <coughs> between Eastern Europe and Asia, Luke, and and does that include Armenians? Are they involved in that overall, you know, oh, yeah. fog and hang? Armenians
0: anything? and Azerbaijanis are historical. You know, the the countries have fought wars before. Um, but they're all part of the former Soviet satellite states. Yeah, I mean, they're very different I, kinds of folks, I like but. the
1: dichotomy of your background, Luke. You know what I mean? You have, you know, not just being born in, in New Delhi, but you've got, you know, your Armenian side offsetting against, what's your dad again, English, that old bastard, Luke? I
0: mean, he's American. I will tell you this, my best friend in the world is Iranian, but his dad actually is, so, so Azerbaijan has a lot of different kinds of people in it, and a lot, there is a major Persian influence in Azerbaijan as well. So he his his dad is from Azerbaijan but then moved to Iran as a kid but he speaks like Turkish and all kinds of different stuff like you know and whatnot. So like there's all, like all of those all of those parts of the world meld in interesting ways in some of those former satellite states of the Soviet Union and Azerbaijan yeah. being a big one. There's all, we always talk about like all, all the Russian hammers but do the Kazakh hammers, the Azerbaijani hammers, the Armenian hammers, they're on their way too.
1: Luke a lot of talk about those Lithuanian hammers too. Okay, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Factory town mindset. Staniosis, Form- right?
0: Staniosis. Yeah,
1: former Russian. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now just in a hurry in general. All right, Luke. There you go. Uh, interesting how quickly you shot down though. Your dad. Oh, he's American. Yeah. What tribe, Luke? Is he Cherokee? He ain't American. He, he grew up
0: in Oklahoma. He grew up in Oklahoma. Oh, so is he Native American, Luke? No, he's yeah. You know, he's last like name an is old Thomas. I mean, how he's Native an American? An old European
1: mutt. Yeah, he's like part part. Uh, yeah, there you go. Part UK, Luke. How about that? Okay, there you go, uh, Luke Usman Nurmagomedov. We're ready to crown him as the next um, uh, the the king, the king of all things, Luke. Uh, he's going to be in a in a, another step up opportunity here, but he'd be a minus eight hundred favorite against Chris Gonzalez. Uh, whether or not he ends up wearing the, light ha- the, the lightweight Bellator title, Luke, it's another step in getting us there. Chris Gonzalez is fresh off a first-round knockout of Saad Awad. So, you know, it's a fairly strong name in terms of establishing yourself and being ready for this type of matchmaking. But is it not going to matter in the end, Luke, because Usman Nurmagomedov can do it all? And you know, look, I want to make you aware. I know you don't listen to the the peanut gallery or the chirp of the of the crowd of the of the MK Universe, if you will. They think we are overrating the shit out of this guy. And Luke, as as Floyd would say, the the, the proof is in the pudding, and he's going about to be putting it on Chris Gonzalez. Come come tonight, Luke. You got to believe that.
0: So, what is their argument about how good he is? How good do they think he is?
1: They think he's been fighting powdered donuts in Del- Bellator, and and you know you know, that typical response of because you didn't do it in the UFC, you didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing.
0: It's not an altogether unfair criticism. He has not been facing the toughest opposition to this point. That is actually, um, that's true. That's true. The problem is not so much that the problem is, uh, you know, the skills he shows as he just dispatches with these guys, he is far better than, uh, are high. Now, Chris Gonzalez is a, let me be very clear about this. Chris Gonzalez is easily, easily the toughest opponent Usman Nurmagomedov has fought in Bellator to this point. He is a team alpha male guy. He has a wrestling background himself. We saw him at the weigh-ins yesterday. That dude is a fucking brick shithouse. He is a real athlete. He's got a real background, a real team. This is a tough test for Usman Nurmagomedov. I just feel like you can look at his record and say, well, he's beaten a lot of guys he should have beaten. Okay, fair enough. But the way in which he beats them, to me, evidences high-level ability and high-level decision-making. Um, we won't really fully know that, right, until we see him beat the Chris Gonzalez's and then and then on up the ladder from there. But I think if your argument is, oh, well, he's only beaten guys who aren't very good, it's not an altogether unfair argument, but it's not the complete argument either. There There is more to the story than just that. And when you look at the total picture, BC, I think you would agree, from what I've seen, he looks to me, like, I, I, I'm I, not exactly sure who in that division will beat him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he ain't Habib, he ain't Zabit, Luke, but he's something pretty damn special. Let's give him a chance to figure that out. Well-rounded, has some spectacular sides to him, obviously fantastic on the ground, but he could submit people too, Luke. Um, you know, he's not going to run through perfection here, but uh, I do expect, and the odds will tell you, another big win, another big sort of how, how soon? How soon before we fit this guy
0: for for a title As shot? As the Smiths Luke? would say, "How soon is now?" You know. Yeah, what I'm saying? I mean,
1: well, look, well, the winner of Outlaw and uh, the other fella, Tufik Musayev, Luke, uh, uh, you know, going to probably jump right in there against patriki could, could could this be enough, or do you got to get Usman this win and, and one more on that level, right, Luke? You got to get a couple more, right, two more.
0: Yeah. Yes, th- but this is the right next step. They want to see what they had with him, and they've got a lot. <clears throat> Gonzalez does have the loss to Gochi Yamaguchi. And he got kind of outstruck on the feet, and you might be like, oh, well, is just going to take him down. But this version of Nurmagomedov can strike his ass off on the feet, too. So it's a it's an interesting fight. We'll, we will see. Chris Gonzalez can win this one, dude. I want to be very clear. He's a good fighter, a very good fighter. I just feel like Usman Nurmagomedov is destined for Bellator um, belts. But if he loses, I will come up here here on Monday and eat a pile of shit. So I'm Ugh. ready. I'll be serving that to you. Uh,
1: Luke, quickly, uh, uh, sorry, I'll jump right to it. I got my eyes on Davion Franklin, who's 5-0 under the Bellator banner. He's good a as ranked, well. a ranked heavyweight now. He'll be a minus 240 favorite against Marcelo Golm plus 200. Uh, are you a believer of what Davion Franklin's doing as being a, a potential sort of uh, – you know, a couple more wins away. Let's see what he's got. He's climbing the the, the heavyweight ladder at the moment, Luke, whether that's a, a deep climb or not, you know, given Bellator's roster. But he's winning the fights he has to win. The Sadawad. Sorry, not Sadawad, the Said Soma win last time out, right. the split decision sort of showed you that he can do a little bit more than maybe you thought. Let's see what he does here against Golem. What are your expectations?
0: Yeah, to me it's not a significantly more difficult fight than the Said Soma fight. So to me, it's like they gave him another difficult fight relative to what we have seen. Remember, he's only five fights in. This is his sixth fucking fight. Like, How good is he supposed to be? Let's let's slow the roll here a little bit, but I'm with you. Um, uh, I, I think he has shown good athleticism, obviously big power. He has shown pretty good decision-making. I think we're going to have to see against a guy like Golem, who's got literally twice as much exper- as experience as him, how that looks a little bit later, because sometimes he can be a little bit too aggressive. I think you might yeah. agree with that. And it's co- and not cost him, obviously, he's undefeated. But, you know, it, you could see how someone else might take advantage of that. I don't think Marcelo Golem is that guy, but he could be. So this is an interesting test. It, to me, the only thing I would say is, a guy like Nurmagomedov, you're like, oh, well, he's only beat these so-and-so guys, but he's got 14 pro fights. Again, Davion Franklin, five fights. Yeah. Five fights. So let's see what happens. The one that you haven't talked about is, the Romero-Cotton-Dalton-Rosta fight. Now, that one is, you know, I mean, two fucking absolute beasts uh, going out. each other. And undefeated, both 6-0. and o, Someone's O has got to go, BC. Indeed.
1: Uh, Lorenz Larkin also a plus-130 underdog against the aforementioned Muhammad Berkamov, Luke. So that should be interesting. Uh, as we mentioned, Roman Feraldo on the undercard is making Hammer. big-time highlight reel wins. He'll be a minus 1050 uh favorite here against Luis Iniguez so uh Iniguez, plus Iniguez. Iniguez yes
0: so uh don't don't that, be the Brock Lesnar being like I'm going to enjoy this fight with Kane uh with uh with Kane Velazquez by drinking a Corona and eating a burrito I was like wow that's that's both racist and stupid uh
1: wow okay Luke uh, free Kane indeed uh Luke Kane But hold on you losing. you skipped
0: you skipped the Godzi-Robotinov dude remember he beat another top prospect in JJ Wilson who's out of New yeah. Zealand and made it look relatively easy another hammer that bellator had. i'm telling you dude like people are kind of sleeping on the main event because douglas Lima's kind of been like eh, ho-hum down the list of this card are tons of interesting gems guys who are on their way slowly breaking out this is an interesting prelims and main card for sure to watch hell
1: yeah bellator 283 7 pm is the Preliminary card, you can catch that on YouTube, you can catch that on Pluto TV, 10 p.m. Eastern, the main card on Showtime this evening, so don't miss it. Luke, topic number three takes us to this just freaking fantastic. Talk about a major pay-per-view. It goes down October 22nd in Abu Dhabi. It's UFC 280. This thing has come together like very few cards in a while, Luke. I mean, God, they are giving this legitimate major feel we already know Aljamain Sterling versus T.J. Dillashaw for the bantamweight bout title. Excuse me, in the co-main event, Charles Oliveira and Islam Mahachev for the vacant lightweight title. In the main event, we already knew Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady at welterweight. How about this though, Luke? We could do these one by one or as a whole. Uh, but here's the whole, and you can tell me your reaction. Sean O'Malley versus Peter Yan at bantamweight. But Neil Darius versus Mateus Gamrot at lightweight. Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lemos at women's strawweight. That's six fan-friggin-tastic fights, Luke Thomas.
0: That is, I mean, just A-plus quality. Just A-plus. You're not going to see main cards look like that very often anywhere. That's
1: like UFC 217 and 205 level, correct? Except for the star overall, like, through-the-roof star power. Right.
0: So they're, they're, I, I, this, this is worth noting. Now, you could say Sean O'Malley is very popular, and he is, but he was on the UFC 276 card, and of course, he wasn't in a headlining role, but um, that card, you know, was, uh, I think, to some people's estimation, it sold well, but it didn't sell, like, it it was, you know, not up to expectations, like, oh, 7,800K. No one on that card, and I think this is a fair, tell me if you disagree, no one on that card is a major proven pay-per-view draw. Now, you could maybe argue a little bit for Oliveira, but that's not entirely true, not like there's not a there's not a full like battery of um, pay per views he's headlined to give us a full indication of that. Certainly not the case with Makachev. Obviously in the co main, Sterling is you know a very uh, amazing champion, but he hasn't proven to be a pay per view draw. TJ Dillashaw kind of interesting, but he he's never on his own sold above I think 500 um, or so. So the point I'm trying to make here is there's a lot of um, there's a just an an overwhelming amount of fight quality and relevance and stakes. But part of the reason they're kind of all grouped together, I think, is that you need all of them to do a decent to good buy rate. Individually, there's not a huge pay-per-view right. draw to the point. of. And 205, by the way, had, I think, three title fights. This just has two. But, but that aside, it will do well on pay-per-view. It will do pretty well. The quality, the quality is extraordinarily high. I can't say on that level one single critical thing about it. I
1: believe there's a press conference for that card actually going on right now, Luke, uh, w- from the UFC. But let's let's stay right here. I got a couple of key questions about this card. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, it's freaking fantastic. Aligned in some of these key pay-per-view card bouts are same divisions as the title opportunities in the main or the co-main. So, Luke, if something happened, either Charlie Olives or Islam Mahachev during fight week for the lightweight title would you see somebody from the Darius camera fight get bumped up? And who would be more likely?
0: Well, Darius would be more deserving, right? He's done more at the higher end of this division, I think. I think that feels right. Um, Or or maybe Michael Chandler is going to show up again and cut weight again. You never
1: know, Luke, you know?
0: Right. So if I'm the UFC, I'm not counting on, like, just robbing Peter to pay Paul from the same card. I would actually bring in somebody else, if at all possible. And Chandler okay, or was, is, is a name you could bring.
1: And I was going to ask you the same question about Sterling and Dillashaw fighting for the Bantamweight title. Damn, you got Jan and O'Malley going against each other on the same card. Who would get the nod between those
0: two? Well, see, here's the thing. You would say Jan because he's the number one ranked contender, but he just... Okay, so... Well, okay, let me ask you this. If it's, if it's Dillashaw that falls out, and so Sterling is the one who needs a title opponent, it probably would be... I can't believe I'm fucking saying this. It, well, what do you think they would do? Would they give a title shot to Sean O'Malley? Like, yeah, that seems they insane. The one
1: thing they have a proven history of is fast-tracking superstars into title. I mean, look, they fast-tracked Gano into Stipe so quick. They fast-tracked Odom Ostemir into DC because there was nobody else. I mean, they'll do that, Luke, when there's a spark and they need it. Yeah, you're damn right they're going to do that. Okay. No disrespect to Piotr Jan. I don't think we're itching to see that trilogy bout right now at this moment. He just lost soundly. Yeah. Yeah, the, you're right. You're champion. right.
0: I mean, he's the higher ranked guy by a million miles, but you're right. So, but if, That's but, interesting. if now here, but here's the thing what if Sterling falls out and now they got to make an interim? Do you do Jan versus Dillashaw or do you do, uh, O'Malley versus Dillashaw. That's that's, an interesting
1: that's why they get paid the big bucks to sit in that war room and make those decisions, Luke. It's pretty interesting. I mean, because think about it. If you last minute threw O'Malley in there, you'd have to think the the, the, the buys rise, right? Like, because he's got his own fan base. They're already going to be buying this pay-per-view, but it does sort of... He is the crossover potential guy of the moment, right? I mean, now you're fine. Oh, he's in a title shot? Dude, I got to buy that. Yeah, I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, Luke? that that That's... That's interesting. Um, on the same topic, we said we both agree. I mean, it's obvious how loaded this is. Maybe this is the beginning of an annual loaded October fight card. Not really the beginning because we've seen Habib there in the past. We've seen, you know, we've seen Fight Island be be, a, be an island of, uh, uh, of savior during the COVID run. Why is this so stacked right now, Luke? Why is that specifically Filled out this deep? Is it just to offset the lack of star power in the main event, so or got, is it is it <clears throat> deeper in terms of relationships and and money and?
0: and- I suspect that they want to bring a quality car to Abu Dhabi, right? Because they have a former relationship, it seems, um, with the folks over there. So that's partly it, right? They want to do they want to do some good there. Uh, and remember, they brought Habib in the past, and they brought big fights there. They don't have anyone of Habib's level, but they've got Makachev, and they've got some other things that could be interesting to that market. So, yes, I do absolutely think that bringing a spectacular card to the Etihad Arena is important for them, and that counts. Again, I go back to the fact that you've got a lot of interesting components here by themselves, not huge draws, but collectively together could probably do a lot, bit of a a super team thing, and that's it, too. Also, Nate Diaz is fighting at UFC 279. It wouldn't make sense to put, like, Diaz... Dude, Diaz and Makachev could fight at the apex with no crowd, and there's no other fights on the card. Like, literally, you just pay for (laughs) Diaz and Makachev, and it would sell an absolute shit ton. So, I'm sorry, Diaz and um, um, Chemayev, I'm sorry. So, it would sell an absolute shit ton. So, they're trying, I think, to balance the schedule as best they can with the competing interests that are involved. But, dude, I think we're kind of burying the conversation here a little bit. Let's go talk about Sean O'Malley for a second, dude. You've got Sean O'Malley who had, at best, what would you call the fight against Munoz? Inconclusive? I think it's a good way to put it, inconclusive. And he goes from that being ranked 13 to taking on the number one contender, the former champion. So in back-to-back days, they had, I think, Tremaya was like the number two guy at welterweight, something like that, taking on unranked Nate Diaz, a fight that by itself doesn't make sense for those reasons. (laughs) Then the next day, they put number one, against number 13 bc i could have sworn we have heard that all oh, well, of these fights are made because so and so was ranked fourth and fifth or sixth and seventh and we just have to put yeah. them in these kinds of ways they totally abandoned any pretense of that do you like that they did it not that do you like the fight the fight's kind of interesting for all those reasons but that this whole like fuck it rankings don't matter right now we're just gonna make these fights eat shit
1: yeah i don't just like it i love it and it goes against <laughs> some of the creed of the things you see me arguing for but again let's not act like it's not true if you're the best looking chick at the dance the ufc is gonna you know allow you to cut the line and it's ha- it's been proven and it's happened i mean everybody you know every like I mean, even ronda Rousey got to walk in the door and fight for a title on day one but you know brock lesnar oh let's let's rush him in it's just what happens it's weird that they're kind of just giving him the win against Munoz basically and just moving him along. But Luke, it was also weird to see him in three straight fights against not the typical level of competition that you would expect or want for somebody who just who not too long ago missed two years because of USADA, which kind of slowed down his growth. And you know, right now, star wise, he's ready to fight for a title, ability wise, inconclusive, yet the flashes are brilliant and we get a chance to find out right freaking now who he is against somebody like Piotr Jan-Level, you know, as just another nugget in this loaded-ass card, I'd be a fool to complain, Luke. Yeah. I mean, did he get the money he was looking for by d- fighting that battle, Luke, of all take on less-ranked, you know? I mean, did it, it seems to have worked out for him. It seems the company's all in. I don't know the financial details,
0: well, but it seems to be... Well, I have a be- feeling he may... Uh, after hearing what... I got a pretty good sense of what Max Holloway makes gaming. I have a feeling that uh Sean O'Malley makes a fucking metric ton. Yeah. Doing that kind of thing. And I think that's probably where he makes the majority of his money. I I don't know. But But
1: I have to believe that his whole public of I might be a free agent, I'm just fighting, you know, until you pay me to fight a top ten guy. That season that's now over, I have to believe that helped him, Luke get this type of opportunity. Obviously, at the end of the day, he's got to be the one that says, yes, I'll fight Jan right now. I'm ready. And I give him kudos to him for doing that and not feeling like he needed a slower, longer you know, build. I mean, he's been on a long build with the combination of the two years off and some of that matchmaking of late, which wasn't great, but it is great now. Munoz was a great matchup for him. And as inconclusive as it was, we're not going to go out of our way to run that back. The time is now, Luke. If, if Jan's willing, and boy, is he... I mean, are, are you more excited about this fight than any other on the card? It's kind of a weird trick question because they're all flamethrowers. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm they're... not.
0: I got to tell you, I'm, a, I'm like, I'm not going to say I'm equally interested in all of them. But dude, I'm like majorly interested in all of them. Right. So let's go down the list. Who's going to be the lightweight champion? And you have Charles Oliveira, who is the most. I mean, what, an, what a phenomenal, not turnaround to his career, but journey. I think is a good way, I hope to put it, against this guy that is the presumed next Habib, whether that's fair or not, right? I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's true or it's not, but there is this talk about him in that way, sort of like, you know, Habib has kind of knighted him as the replacement, and he has done really great work in this division. Let's see what he can do. That's huge. Then you have the Bantamweight title fight. Do I even need to say, like, it's the best division in MMA, arguably, with the existing champion who has proven douchebags like you and me wrong in getting that win in his last fight against Jan against Dillashaw, who, hello... Never had the bantamweight belt taken from him except administratively. Then you have Sean Brady, who I think might be. I mean, that guy's got title uh, potential written fucking all over him, but this guy, Bilal Muhammad, has proven to be a genuine force at 170 pounds. Whether you think his game is exciting or not is irrelevant. That fucker wins and is a very tough fight for anyone. And hello, by the way, Palestinian American. I think that audience over there. Is going to be you know boosting him up a little bit as well so that's kind of important then you've got Dariush taking on Gamrot. Dariush by the way super skilled but just willing to have all-out action fights against a guy like Gamrot who has just an insane insane gas tank plus next level kind of overall game and then you go to Sean O'Malley who is all the things about this, you know, next level guy, but has somewhat improved? And the two times he's gone up in rank, it's been these weird kind of fights. Well, here he can jump all of that. shit. I mean, nothing would be more. Nothing would validate Sean O'Malley more. Forget about the hype and the hair and all that shit. Nothing would validate him more than beating Jan. Like the number one guy, the former, you beat fucking Jan. That's about as credible a win as they get. At Bantamweight. It's exactly what Sterling needed, by the way, to get some respect finally from everyone, media and fans alike. You put Sean O'Malley on that level, it's amazing. Conversely, if Jan gets that win over O'Malley, he gets to get a huge popularity boost and then get right back to the swing of things against whoever's there. Dude, every fucking way you look at it, this card is just quality at every level stakes, high levels, the very best division, four titles, four contendership, four legacy. It's huge so which one do i like the best for all different reasons they're all great wow there was was some real passion in that lt i I I love this card bro i love this card i
1: I think i've come around to being most excited here about this o'malley fight amid all diamonds right all diamonds there no pearls luke okay
0: don't don't be rg3 no pressure no diamonds
1: yeah, yeah. I was watching RG three highlights last night, Luke, while sitting in the eighth row there on the uh, on the old flight. Yeah, it was great. It was it's exciting, Luke. Okay, while well, listening to seventies records. You know what I'm saying? Great. You were so wait. You good. were
0: watching RG three highlights from like what 2012? Yeah, and with
1: the Redskins. Or sorry, the the Redskins. Yeah, sorry, the Redskins. Well, yeah, the, at
0: the time, the Redskins. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's keep the show moving. Topic four takes us to this. Talk about a stacked card. UFC 280. How about the potential for a stacked must-see pay-per-view main event matchup in boxing that we thought, Luke, was going to be really hard to make, so don't get too excited. It may still be. But what an interesting turn of events that may have opened up some doors here. Floyd Mayweather, who, of course, is the promoter of Gervonta Davis. Luke, even though we spent last Gervonta fight against Roley talking about how he's going to leave, he hasn't left. It seems business is a go under Mayweather promotions. So Floyd was talking to FightHype.com, which has long been his preferred media outlet to say his piece.
0: Let me ask you a question. Does he own them? Does he own a piece of them?
1: I do not have that information,
0: maybe, or maybe he's just really good
1: friends with Ben Thompson, who seems to be his go-to guy guy there but he's always gone to them first and gone on the record so we know that ryan garcia is aggressively on social media trying to lure tank we know tank's shown some willingness floyd mayweather told fight hype that absolutely he's willing to make that fight by the end of the year but he has one major caveat luke and that would be he wants ryan or saying ryan garcia needs to wait before he goes up to 140 and cut to 135 one more time. Take on take right here. He tried to use the whole argument that Tank has a title now. We know it's a secondary title. We know that Devin Haney has all four of the quote-unquote real titles at 135. Either way, it's a big fight. It Now, Luke, I'm gonna read some of his comments. They don't fully solve what could be the issue in this being a hard fight to make. Will the Zone and Showtime, in this case, be willing to go together to make some type of double pay-per-view? There's been some talk that that might not you know be realistic but here's what floyd said he said uh the main man in the sport of boxing right now is the one that's attached to me gervante that's the only thing this kid ryan garcia the only thing that he knows is tank that's the only name that he knows right oh i want to fight tank i don't care it's the biggest fight oh you want to fight tank how about you make the sacrifices so we know tank right now is at 135 so if you want to fight Tank." At 135, we can make it happen before the end of the year. Luke, his his sort of argument was you just fought at 135. So if you can make the sacrifice, you can do it. Luke, let's start just right there in that regard. From Floyd's comments right there, is that enough to make you believe that this is a possibility for 2022? However, it goes down financially and network-wise behind the scenes, that Floyd saying let's do it was a major hurdle to get past. True or false?
0: False. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Um, if you, I guess if you're asking me, do I have a greater sense that it's possible now than I did maybe, I don't know, six months ago or something, then yeah, I would say yes. But it just feels like, I mean, you know, listen, and I'm not even saying Floyd's wrong. It's got to be at 135 versus 140. I think that's probably right. Uh, that Tank's the A side, Ryan's the B side. I think that's probably right. But I just feel like as much as Ryan is enthusiastically lobbying for it, which I appreciate, I think, like, you know, we talked about Tyson Fury doing that back in the day and how much we liked that guys were taking the bull by the horns. Very good, I like it. It also feels to me like you can say it's more like, oh, yes, we're open to it, but this, that, X, Y, Z. It's like, it's like you're substituting a no for a yes, but then the yes just has a series of no's behind it it's not real it's a distinction without a difference to me um that's well, kind of where i'm at am I, am I being too much of a hater
1: well it, it depends on some things right i mean it depends there's this can Floyd get Al Hayman the PBC? Who, oh, sorry, it's you know, different.
0: Distinction. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Can, can can he get Al to agree with this? Is Al on board with this? Can Showtime be talked into it? We have seen Stephen Espinoza's comments in the past saying, "Love the fight, don't see a need to work with the Zone." What do they bring to the table? Obviously, that's got to get through. That specific question about the competing networks was asked apparently in this interview to Floyd, and here's his response. That fight will not be difficult to make. We don't have a problem. This is what we're going to do, okay? Now, we're going to turn down a lot of things, but we ain't going to turn down no money. We can turn down our collars, you know, but we ain't going to turn down no money. So with that being said, we've all done some foolish things in life, but we not no damn fools. So now I'm letting Oscar know this. Oscar, we can make the fight happen, but the fight's got to be at 135. And Luke, he also closed by saying... This is kind of comedic, but he said Ryan Garcia also would have to do an interview with Fight Hype before entering see the negotiation that. I did room. See that. I did which see is, that. I mean, it's such typical Floyd. Floyd's told Fight Hype in the past when Ryan Garcia first showed interest in fighting Gervonta, he was like, "Okay, you can fight Gervonta, but you got to fight Rolly first. But at first, people were like, "Who the hell's Rolly?" We didn't know about him at that point. So, I don't know, Luke. I mean, this doesn't address fully the two network thing. Of course, it doesn't. But to see Floyd not answer with this answer that would have gotten me upset, which is, okay, you want to fight us? You're going to fight on our terms. Come to us on our network only on our terms. Now, he did identify terms, and the A-sides historically have always done that. One thing Floyd said in this interview, I wasn't a 154 guy, but I knew I had to move up there to fight Oscar. I knew I had to move up there to fight Cotto, and I did it. He did, Luke. He won those fights. Um, I I do agree with that. Making Ryan Garcia cut down one more time at the end of the day, it's what you got to do to get the fight. But can Floyd control the other parts of it, what's going to be the financial split? There's still more hurdles, but seeing him do anything but say, you know, come to us, this seems promising, Luke. He didn't say no, all right? You're saying there's a chance, Luke, okay? I'm sorry, there's some fights that are are so enticing. And, again, this isn't two guys in their mid-30s. We're not Spencer Crawford just saying, I hope they finally see each other before it's too late. This is 27-year-old Davis against 23-year-old Garcia at a point where both have done some stuff, Gervonta's certainly done more, but neither one have had that, like, one defining breakthrough guy that everyone thought could beat them, but then, oh, they got the win moment. And for both fighters, there's some of that in this, Luke. Uh, this is a fight to, to to lose my morals and get just freaking excited about, Luke. And I'm, I'm damn excited about this possibility. I mean, this is one of those, like, brings in different audiences. You don't know who's going to win. They're both unbeaten. They both got a puncher's chance. They're both going for the KO. They're both stars who haven't yet been fully proven. This is the kind of shit that keeps you a boxing fan. Fights like this, Luke. I think it's possible.
0: Here's what I guess I would say. Do I think the likelihood is now greater than it was previously? Yes, you make good arguments, but I don't think we've reached the point where it's past the tipping point of likelihood. In other words, I still see it as overall at this stage, unlikely. I need to see something else that gets me to say, okay, it may be, you know, we went from 5% to now 25% likelihood. That's still, 25% is five times as likely as 5%, but it's still not likely that it happens. It's still more often than not, not going to happen. So I guess that's where I'm at. I, I, I take your point that it is a meaningful difference. Okay, but it's not meaningful enough to pass the tipping point from being unlikely to now likely for me.
1: Well, if you're asking about my personal tipping point, Luke, yes, I do have a phoner. Okay, I am rock hard with emotion <laughs> right now. Okay, so you know I, I gotta give he... you
0: credit. It took you an hour and fifty one minutes before you made a reference to your genitalia. That's that's a that's a new record for you. Usually, it takes an, a you minute mean, and fifty one seconds. I
1: think you mean until I made an obvious reference, Luke. I've been I've been throwing things over your head all show. Okay, okay, uh, Luke, You do just,
0: you know. do tend to do that. That is a fair point. Okay,
1: right. um, look, I don't know who's gonna be the person that roadblocks this if it has roadblock potential and yes it does there's a lot of people at this table luke okay a lot of cooks in this kitchen but they meaning floyd and mayweather promotions which by association also kind of means al hayman and pbc they wouldn't they would need this fight to make them so much money that it's worth doing even though it's difficult and Give them the confidence that they can win it, and I think they have both. Luke, I think Floyd and them realize Ryan Garcia brings legitimate, you know, marketing side and and money wise brings something to the table. I also think they watch him fight and go, "Oh, Tink'll knock him out." Luke, so maybe that helps us. Maybe that helps us get there.
0: I mean, here's the thing: it's like Mario Barrios is a, is not a strong B side in terms of sales. Rolly Romero tried his best to say outrageous shit, but you know, none of those guys have. If you want to say Tank is the A-side and then Ryan's the B-side, which I agree, Ryan is by a million miles the biggest B-side that Tank will have ever, 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 ever fought. And so, to your point, that makes him significantly more attractive. Plus, they probably like his chances. Um, I do think those are fair points to make as well. Yes.
1: Okay. All right, we'll see what goes down. I mean, unfortunately, if you're new to this side of the box, trying to predict what network heads will do is Price. a part of boxing coverage, unfortunately. It is, to f- make these fights happen. We'll see what happens. Quick hitters is topic five. Luke, real quick, I got three nuggets for you. Tell me if this moves you at all. all right. Johnny Walker and Iwan Laba on tap for UFC 279.
0: Your thoughts? Kutelaba's going to bring a fight out of him, right? Kutelaba's not going to hang back. You know that. You know, he's not going to let him... With that whole, like, I'm going to pick things apart at distance. He's been trying that new sort of style. Like, you might get the old Johnny Walker back, for better or for worse. You might get it back with Kute Lava. So, don't hate it. Don't love it like crazy love it, but don't hate it at all.
1: UFC 279 goes down September 10th, Las Vegas. The only thing we really know about that right now is it's Hamsa... Chamayev and Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz. I, how many times can I call him Nick? Nate Diaz in that non-title main event. We know some of the undercard bouts, but I wonder, you know, they got to put something else. They got to add one more nugget to that, Luke, okay? You're going to sell Hamzat Nate, and that'll sell itself, but I do think you need one more big fight. We'll see what direction they go. Uh, Luke, uh, we know they were there was a contractually obligated and financial reason to do this, so it looks like reports are telling us Devin Haney will give George Cambosis the rematch. It'll go down November 15th, I believe. I don't have the date in front of me, but it's it'll go down in Melbourne, Australia. I Melbourne. mean, look, Melbourne, in all, in all theory, Cambosis should be able to fight better than he did in laying that egg the first time around where he wasn't willing to go for broke or take on the danger that he took on against Teofimo, for example. Maybe it was knowing he had the rematch in his back pocket. I don't know, Luke. That does be, lead me to believe the fight will be more fun. First one, not fun. Important, not fun. I think I'll be entertained this time, but it does feel very extraneous and unnecessary to me. Are you on the same wavelength?
0: Unfortunate. You know, it uh, says a lot, by the way, that uh, they went from Marvel Stadium to Rod Laver Arena, which is, like, I think close to, like, a third the capacity for seats. Rod so, Laver, so, yeah. Rod Laver, whatever it is. Rod Laver, Laver. Uh you know, uh, it's a it's a it's, UFC has fought in that arena. It's actually better for the fans, but it's a significant downgrade in terms of the size of the audience. So that's interesting. Um, it sucks for Haney. Remember his dad? Bare, his dad got into the country at like the eleventh hour before that fight. Listen, Haney is just a lot better than Cambosis. That's what we saw over twelve rounds. I just you know, I understand rematch clauses in fights. I get it, but there needs to be some kind of limits on it, especially for like mandatory uh, situations from the original fight. That that limit how much they can do this kind of thing. So I believe
1: mandatories can't have rematch
0: clauses, Luke. I believe that's the rule. So, so then, what is? The, God, what was it rematch? Was that?
1: Okay, this was the, the this was the toll that Devin Haney, who became a free agent, network and promotionally leaving Dizone and Eddie Hearn. This was the toll he had to pay in order to sign a co partnership with. Lou, Debe- or Lou Debella reps Cambosis, so in order to sign that co-partnership with Top Rank, who's putting on the card with ESPN as the network, right? They right. Had, He had to sign into the two-fight agreement because Cambosis was the champion with leverage fighting in his own backyard, so that's the price Haney had to make okay. to make this agreement happen, unfortunately, in that regard, because he blew him out the first time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sucks for Haney, because he's the guy with all the belts that he has to go back to Australia. It was a pain in the ass the first time he made it work. I suspect he'll win the second fight. Might be a little bit closer. First one was, you know, not a beating but a blowout. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but I don't think it's majorly consequential either way. It sucks. Yeah, it sucks for it, it sucks, sucks for Haney big time. But
1: it it does. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, finally, uh, Manny Pacquiao may not have won the presidency, losing uh, in the Philippines, Luke, but he's going to be back in the ring. Only this time, it'll be. An exhibition, so I don't know if this is technically him coming out of retirement, although I fully expect him to, Luke. He'll be facing uh, YouTuber DKU this uh, this December, and the fight is set up to raise funds for the Ukraine-Russia war victims. Um, okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Can he stretch this fucking guy for us? I mean, I don't even know who I he don't is. no, I don't I
1: don't follow the you I'm not, you know, I'm I don't follow the YouTubes. I know we're on YouTube, Luke. I, I watched I watched our G3 highlights last night, you know what I mean? But that's about it on YouTube. Okay, thank you. Luke, I do expect fully to not only see a Manny Pacquiao back, but I know you poo pooed the idea a few times. Manny Pacquiao versus Tank Davis, bangs,
0: brother. get, get the fuck out. I have than Bangs. I mean, I'm, okay, I, I of all the uh, listen, what I watch? You know, the level of what I would watch is fairly low. I would watch it, but do I want to see that? Do I prefer that? I don't fight. prefer that. It might be a good fight. Might be a good fight. We'll see.
1: All right, Luke. Uh, to close this week on a little, a l- little verbose and long. My fault as the your quarterback, as your captain here, but. Uh, at gmail.com is your entry point for Wednesday's fan subs. And they've been fantastic of late and Friday where we stand the test of time. We, we, we get on trial for things we've said that were ill or incorrect. It's called dead wrong. Yes. uh, 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 uh. All right. Let's start out with Michael here. He says during Wednesday's show, when discussing the UFC ABC card, Luke stated that Shane Burgos had a wild fight with Kyle Bokniak. Maybe clear up all the nicotine vapor in front of your computer screen so that you can actually see Burgos' record on tapology. He never fought Bokniak. Zabit was the one who fought him back in twenty eighteen. You're dead wrong, you disgusting va- vaping douchebag. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's fair that's okay. fair for some reason <laughs> gotcha. i had invented a yeah. fight that didn't exist I, apologize. I do that all
1: the time look all the time i'm an asshole all right this is from skylar is that a male or female look skylar skylar Skylar. probably
0: a dude that was a chick
1: in goodwill hunting right mini driver yeah
0: yes okay. i don't know what her i don't know what her the character's name was but yes
1: yeah it was skylar that's why i brought it up that Wait, was that was skylar name?
0: that her name was skylar in that movie
1: Yes, yes. Come on, that was basically our life on film, Luke, right there. Okay, uh, Luke lists. It's not his, your fault. F- <laughs> his five favorite Pantera songs in his live chat. Wait, they're dead wronging your live chat on this show. Yeah, they I shouldn't be a-
0: doing that. You can dead wrong it to me personally, but you can I read don't it associate
1: uh, the live chat on July fourteenth at approximately one thirty-four of episode one twenty-four. The second song he states is Respect, which isn't actually walk. a Pantera it's song yes, it's at all. Walk. This makes you dead wrong, you wash-dodge-omni-donk. <laughs> Keep up the great work. I've been listening since I know. episode The chorus one. is re- uh, re-spect. Yeah, walk, yeah, walk. yeah. All right. Wasn't uh, Matt Brown at the concert that Dimebag Daryl was killed at? I believe I have yes. inter- asked him about yeah, that. that. That's that is true. crazy Yes, story. I've talked
0: to him about it, yes
1: wild wow all right this is from connor and mark i believe connor is the writer here uh at 144 of monday's show luke says that the liver king admitted to having ab implants on the full send podcast the yeah. liver king actually did not he mentioned that the media made up this story and okay. that 30 Go ahead. And that 35 years of lifting weights and eating right made those abs i still right. think it's but, a little sus but yes. luke was wrong to say that he admitted they were fake
0: that's fine that's why he admitted it and then took it back and they made a joke of it. But then subsequent Internet sleuths have then suggested that it has to be true. Um, and they note that like when he breathes, the abs don't really move. And there's, there's a there's a, there's a like Derek from uh, shouts to Derek for more plates, more dates. He did a whole breakdown on it. So, yeah, um, yes, he did not fully like and then consciously admit to it without walking it back. But we're all sus. We're, he's sus as shit.
1: Um, I'm now following Liver Queen on Instagram as well, Luke, too. I, I need to learn I bet, about I bet all you the are, you
0: fucking dirtbag. I bet you are. <laughs> all
1: the ancestral tenants, Luke. I need to learn about all of them. Okay. Uh, this one's from Omar. Hey, it's Omar again, your friend from the Canary Islands. Luke, that's incredible that he lives there and watches us.
0: It is cool. It's a, it's a round world, man. It's a yeah, round man.
1: world. Uh, in Morning Combat 324, that's the episode number, during Have You Seen This Shit at 2 Hours, BC said it was a squash match, and Luke Thomas corrected him, saying it was a pickleball match. But that's dead wrong. It's a paddle match, a racket sport originating in Mexico and different from the sport known in the U.S. as paddle tennis. The main differences are that the court has walls, the ball is different, and is always played in doubles, as you can see in the video. Much love from Spain. Keep up the good work.
0: It's pickleball. Fuck off.
1: Oh, wow, you sent Omar to canary hell, you know what I mean? Damn. He's probably right.
0: I mean, listen, if we're, you know, it looked like pickleball, which is a game that geezers like you and I will play in probably five years when we can't fucking move Yeah, yeah like, and know. complain about, like, taxes and, and kids and the
1: millennials and millennials having kids, Luke, yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, by the way, the guy who worked out with um, Tony Ferguson wearing the MK shirt at mm-hmm. Snick Diaz, I'm told he was at our live show as well in, in Vegas.
0: Amazing. That guys, yeah. like a, 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 P1 is that guy. P1. Absolutely.
1: Big fan of that guy. Uh, Vinny says, at 40 minutes and 45 seconds of episode 325, Luke said that TJ Dillashaw never had the title taken from him other than for administrative reasons and not what happened inside the octagon. This is dead wrong due to the fact that TJ lost a split decision to Dominic Cruz and their match at UFC fight night. We're 81. talking
0: about the last belt that he had. Fuckos. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Back in January of 2016, double down on that AG1. Okay, I mean, that's not what we're talking about, but yeah, I mean. Love the show. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Wow,
1: Vinny got up inside on you. I like that, Luke.
0: I mean, but it's not the point I was making. The point was he had the belt when USADA came crashing down on him. That's the point.
1: You pedantic piece of shit. Yes, yes. Uh, Did he lose? Yeah, he lost the belt to USADA. Yeah, okay. Uh, This is Greg. Harry also wrote about this, but this is Greg writing. This is our last one. What's up, fellas? It's your boy, Greg. taking a beating today. Yeah, this is all one-way traffic. I'm loving it. I'm back with another dead wrong for certified frat legend himself, Luke (laughs) Thomas. (laughs) While discussing Nate Diaz versus Hamzat on Wednesday's show, Luke claimed that neither Diaz brother had ever pulled out of a fight due to injury. This is dead wrong because Nate pulled out of the Leon Edwards fight at UFC 262, only for it to be rescheduled the following month at 63. I recognize Luke speaks closely with Nate's team, so perhaps he knows something I don't. Whatever report I can find states that Nate pulled out with the injury. P.S. Luke, I want that rematch. Oh, dude, that's Punch Drunk Pete. Ah. That's Greg, yeah.
0: I would have to double check that. He could be right. He could be right. I don't remember it that way, but I also thought that uh, Shane Burgos fought motherfuckers he didn't fight. So it's worth a double check.
1: Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com will get your, uh, your shit read by my Goddamn, Morgan, I had to producer. face the firing squad today. Al- shit. Luke- Real talk here about punch drunk P. He had a moment during our live show. He he was he much more entertaining than me. I'll give you that credit. Um, he was drunk as shit though. He tried to wander like on set and stuff. But I really like the guy. Is he what, is he MK approved? Will we hang out with him or do you think he's more likely to like <laughs> jizz in Land Yeager and mail it to us or something? No,
0: he's a Land Yeager jizzer for sure. <laughs> I mean that's <laughs> there's of that there can be. Of that, there can be no doubt. But I will say this in his defense, in addition to being a great fan, he is one of our fans that likes both MMA and boxing uh, and doesn't groan when we do boxing content. So I appreciate him.
1: In fact, Punch Drunk Pete, long before I met him, would always hit me up in the DMs be like, what fight should I watch next? And give me a breakdown how much he loved it. So he is digging into the box and enjoying it. Luke, who would you be more willing in a pinch situation to let babysit Tukey, Punch Drunk Pete or Damien the Donk?
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh,
1: You're going to need him to get you through this, probably, Luke. I yeah. mean, given
0: that Damien the Donk has children uh, hanging from a noose on his chest and a tattoo, probably means I wouldn't leave Tukey with him unattended. But Punch Drunk Pete would be the kind of guy who's like, oh, you thirsty? Drink this beer, three-year-old. You know. Yeah, yeah. there you go. There it is.
1: Uh, Luke, that's our show for today, uh, Friday, set in the weekend. Uh, big. Da- uh, Mikey reporting that Damien has a son. Yes, he did show up in the background of the interview. Who's going to win this year's 2022 Donk of the Year? Well, keep keep trying, folks. Appy's out there. Russell from Georgia's out there. We're going to see who else is, is going to keep contributing here. Uh, those were our social handles. Like and follow that. Bellator tonight on Showtime, 10 p.m. Eastern is the main card. You can check Luke and I on CBS Sports HQ at 9 to set the stage. Check me afterwards if you care that much. I love you. Thank you very much. Luke, any closing shots, parting shots, closing comments?
0: uh, We're working on it. I can't guarantee it. There might be a post-fight reaction show for UFC London. No guarantees. We're working on that. And then next couple of weeks, uh, we got... Well, you, there's some vacation going on the next month, really, between you and I. But even with all that, we we got a lot of extra stuff planned. So be on the lookout, as always.
1: As always, check YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Obviously, we would love for you to like this video and subscribe. But great content outside of the three live shows per week. Interviews, you can check out my chat with Danny Garcia, who's back July 30th on Showtime at a new weight class at 154. Luke talked to Jake Paul. Him and I talked to, of course, Hasim Rahman Jr. They'll be fighting August 6th on Showtime pay-per-view. Start your 30-day free trial right now of Showtime. Why not? Showtime.com. Do that shit. Luke, I wanted to close with a brief editorial. A lot of people are hitting me up saying, BC, it's like it's great that you guys are pushing AG1 so hard. But I know you. I know how you live your life. I know what color your liver is. You're going to try to sell me something that obviously is, is is not helping you, you know, in any form as you cough it, your lungs out. into. And I get a lot of people that say this, Luke. But how smart are you guys really maybe it's the ag1 that's keeping me alive
0: yeah i don't think they understand it's like but for the ag1 it would be much worse is it a miracle cure nothing is but yeah. in terms of the healthy like what's all the unhealthy and all the healthy things in the balance here ag1 is the only thing keeping those scales even remotely close
1: maybe that's how i make it to the microphone three days a week all right do you ever think of that All right. Why why don't you you. pour
0: more water over your coffee mug that has coffee left in it, and then just drink brown water like a piece of shit that you are.
1: So I do the move that my dad does historically, Luke, which is if there's coffee left in the in the maker in the morning, just throw that in a cup, heat it up while you're (laughs) while you're making new coffee, and and like this morning I didn't even make new coffee; I just drank old stuff. To some people, that's like, you know, that's like uh, gross as shit. Luke, are you in on that?
0: That is insanely gross. Again, the only gross thing I ever did with coffee was put it in my gums. Like, take the the granules and put it in my gums as, like, a wake-up call. But other than that, uh, yeah, yeah, you're a gross piece of shit, yes. All right,
1: (laughs) confirmed. There it is. We got to the bottom of it. Thank you to Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports. Long Island Luke on the ones and twos there. Maybe Maneet Shiding. I saw um, Gaff's vacation picture, so continue to live it up in the Caribbean. We love you as well out there. Uh, for Mikey Morms, for the great Luke Thomas, LT himself, I am Brian Campbell reminding you, right? All work good, all work fine, but first, take care of Ed. Be well up here. You got this. We're going to get through another week. Enjoy the fights this
0: weekend. Two words for the people. We out. Don't see Thor. It sucks.